from the high desert and the great American Southwest. I bid you all good evening or good morning on this Friday night, Saturday morning. It's going to be different tonight. There will be no guest. No guests tonight. It's just the two of us, actually. And what we're going to do all night long, I repeat again, all night long, is tell ghost stories. On Halloween, we did Ghost to Ghost and had Ghost to Ghost interrupt us because of the Pegasus story. So tonight, there shall be nothing but ghost stories, your ghost stories. Why are, why are ghosts uh, so interesting? And the answer is, for me, a simple one. In my eternal search for knowledge of the other side, one great a field to look at is that of spirits or ghosts or we don't really exactly precisely know what ghosts are they apparently are many things um, and they may be proof that we do exist after we die in one form or another it may not necessarily always be good it seems like and I've been doing this for years now, but it seems as though people who die early, people who die young, people who die unexpectedly, people who die tragically, people who die with things left to do yet in their life, many times seem to remain. The collective evidence, I think if taken to court, would be nearly irrefutable collectively and by the time this night is out I suggest to you that you too will begin your own journey your own search of trying to figure out what happens to us after we die do we remain on earth do we go to another place and can we get back from that other place Houdini is said to have uh, been trying to do so set it up before he died, hasn't yet made it. But there are so many, many stories. Uh, now, I'm going to Vancouver next week. I'm going to be doing a, an episode of Millennium, which I'm going to get to play myself kind of neat. But here is a story from the city of my destina uh, destination, Vancouver, entitled The Headless Brakeman. It's a simple, short story. It is said, Art, the CPR yards at the foot of Granville Street, Vancouver, have been haunted by a headless brakeman since 1928. Now, that was a year that Hub Clark, a railway brakeman, literally lost his head in the yards. One dark and rainy night, he slipped, he fell off a freight train, and his head hit the rail next to the freight track. He was knocked unconscious, and a passenger train speeding down the track severed his head from his body two inches below the Adam's apple. Thereafter, stories circulated about how a headless man in railway overalls was seen in the yard on dark and rainy nights. Apparently, for years, Vancouver railwaymen joked, don't throw your pumpkin away after Halloween. Hub Clark can use it. 
The headless brakeman was last sighted on a dark and rainy, a very rainy night, as a matter of fact, darting between boxcars in 1942 by a railway worker. This story is told by Ted Ferguson in The Sentimental Journey, an oral history of train travel in Canada. And this, uh, this is a very, very interesting story. It's not a, it's a very specific ghost story, and or maybe it is. I don't know. It kind of goes with uh, somewhere in time, in a way. Uh, dear Art, this is a rather unconventional ghost story, but it shows how those on the other side can manipulate things. In 1992, I was working as a 911 emergency paramedic in Oakland, California. One night, as I was getting ready for work, I was kind of half watching this TV show about ghosts. One of the stories caught my attention, so I sat down to watch. Now, this, this might also come under the category of synchronicity. You tell me as you listen. It was about the Hotel Del Coronado in Coronado, California. You know, the hotel where Some Like It Hot with Marilyn Monroe was filmed. In the story, this woman named Kate was apparently haunting the hotel. I watched the rest of the story, then ran out of the door, almost late for work. As my partner and I sat waiting for a call, I began to tell her the story that I'd seen on TV. But for some unknown reason, I couldn't remember the name of the hotel. At that moment, we got an emergency call. We ran the call, brought the patient to the hospital. The whole time, I'm trying to remember the name of that doggone hotel. Well, we arrive at the hospital and wheel the patient inside. As I'm giving my report to the nurse in the emergency room, I just happen to glance behind the desk, and hanging on the wall is a calendar. And the full-color, large picture on the calendar is, you guessed it, the Hotel Del Coronado. Well, I tend to pay attention to these little things and took this as an invitation from Kate to visit her hotel. So, I reserved one of their smallest, cheapest rooms, and the next time I had a four-day weekend, I packed up my convertible, drove down the coast from San Francisco to San Diego, Arrived at the hotel, went up to the desk to check in, and the clerk says, Oh, I'm sorry, all of the small cheap rooms, like the one you had reserved, are booked up. Hmm, let me see. Oh, we do have this suite with a balcony overlooking the courtyard in the old section of the hotel. Will that be all right? <laughs> he said, I'll give it to you for the same price as the small cheap cheesy room you had reserved. Naturally, I say, okay, and I'm beginning to think this is going to be a very interesting stay. So, up I go, took a bubble bath, drank a beer out of the room bar. Shouldn't do that, by the way, they're terribly expensive. Jumped on the bed, as is my habit any time I stay in an expensive hotel. I took a nap and got dressed for dinner. Went down to the bar for a cocktail. The bartender brought all of my drinks. Had dinner in one of the restaurants, and... When I asked for my check, the waiter told me that a gentleman who had been seated across the room had paid the check. The rest of the visit was uneventful, no apparitions, no 
funky stuff until the stay at the hotel never showed up on my credit card bill. Now, I'm a relatively honest person, and under normal circumstances, I probably would have called the Hotel Dole Coronado, told them about their oversight. However, when viewed with everything else that occurred, the calendar, the upgrade, the free drinks, the free dinner, it was rather apparent to me that I had indeed been a guest, Kate's guest, at the Hotel Del Coronado. She is a fine hostess, and I hope to return one of these days. And I have, of course, many more like this. And uh, if any of you have a particularly good ghost story, we're going uh, to do two things. One, we are going to tell ghost stories. Uh, from those of you who call on the call-in lines. And we are going to also invite you, uh, rather than sending in a fax with your ghost story, if you have a particularly good one, send me a fax with your phone number, and I will call you. I will call you because your odds of getting through, obviously, uh, are rather slim. So if you just give me a brief outline on the facts of what your ghost story is and then provide a phone number, I will call you. So we'll experiment, do things a little differently tonight, but uh, make no mistake about it, all night long, all night long, we are going to do uh, absolutely nothing but ghost stories. If you wish, call it ghost to ghost. Call it anything you want. But I suggest you dim the lights and prepare yourself. All phone lines tonight, including the international phone line, which, by the way, is open. I normally use that for guests, so I don't get a lot of international calls. But, but tonight, it's open. So wherever you are in the world, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, if you have a ghost story, and I do have one sent to me here by, uh, from Belgium. I've got another one from South Africa. We are heard worldwide. To access this program from any other country, uh, get hold of the AT&T operator. Now, that's very important. Get the AT&T operator and have her call in the USA toll-free. Be sure you tell her toll-free. 800-893-0903. That's 800-893-0903. But all lines, all night, all ghost stories. Here we go. First time caller line, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. This is Carrie calling from Eugene, Oregon. Hello, Kay. How are you? You're going to have to get good and close to the phone because you're not too loud. How's this? That's better. All right. Well, my boyfriend's brother, he moved into this house in Providence, Rhode Island. And come to find out, it's, it used to be a funeral home. And, like, they have the places, like, in the basement where, you know, they burn the bodies and did all that crazy stuff. Cremation. Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, now he feels like there's a ghost there. Um, like, things will be missing, like things you don't misplace, like toothpaste, cutting board, just gone. And um, one time, his roommate, you know, they were just sitting there drinking coffee. His roommate went into his room because he finished his cup, and he came back out, and it was completely filled hot 
Jason didn't get it for him or anything. And it wasn't even made right how he likes it. And he says sometimes, you know, like a door will slam. Um, one time, he, like, he actually had to leave because he was so scared because there was, like, rubbing all on the walls and clanging noises. You know, let me tell you a little story back now. Okay. I saw a movie the, the other night. I can't recall the name of it, unfortunately. Now a million people will send it to me. But uh, it was about a man who went to work in a morgue. Uh-huh. And he was a guard in the morgue. And he would have his little guard desk, and he'd have his little, you know, guards have keys, and they have to make the rounds and turn the key so that the owner knows they really made their assigned rounds at night. And he had a desk and a workstation uh, when he wasn't having to make his rounds, and there was this red light behind him. And in the morgue, they would have the bodies all lined up, on these cots covered with sheets in a cold, what's called a cold room. Mm -hmm. But above each body, there was a pull cord. You know, some, a cord you could pull. Just in case. Just in case. And uh, should, uh, should somebody pull that cord, it would obviously mean to the guy sitting at the desk that one of the bodies in the morgue had reanimated, not unheard of. And I'm, I'm not going to tell you any more than that, but I will tell you, it went off. Wow. <laughs> okay? Yeah, it's pretty weird. And well, I don't, is there, like, who would you go about calling? Say if you wanted to have, like, a specialist come in there and see, you know, what was going on. Any ideas? Oh, yes. I have many people. In fact, the guest I'm going to have on this coming Monday night... Uh, uh, might be exactly uh, the person you're looking for. Yeah, it's pretty crazy because, you know, his, they have... His name now, listen to me, is Jerome Clark, and he wrote a book called Unexplained Strange Sightings, Incredible Occurrences, and Puzzling Physical Phenomena. Now, he'll be here Monday night, uh, Tuesday morning next week. Okay. Somebody like that is the kind of person you need, okay? Definitely. Thanks so much for your help. You bet. Take care, and uh, good luck. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Yes, Art, this is Greg from El Cajon, California. Hi, Greg. How are you, Art? Just fine. I have a good one for you. Okay. Do I have about four or five minutes? You do. Excellent. Um, my wife's mother uh, had died back in uh, February, actually on February 13th of this year. And prior to her death, uh, my wife and children and I had stayed with her overnight in, in that house on many occasions. Sure. It was just a normal home. Nothing strange, uh, very comfortable there, no problems whatsoever. You would just be visiting her and stay, stay the night? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, taking up the house uh, at the time of her death uh, went into probate. And, uh, of course, uh, my wife and her siblings not wanting to uh, leave the house empty, of course, because of vandals and that sort of thing. Uh, my wife and our two daughters and our unborn son uh, moved into that empty house on March 1st of this year. Makes sense. Um, shortly after, my family and I took occupancy of the home, uh, certain events uh, started to take place. Like what? Well, um, just to paraphrase you also, at this time, on around March 10th, we adopted a, a German Shepherd Beagle mix um, that uh, uh, it made my wife feel a lot better, of course, uh, because I worked late at night, sometimes till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm, like me. Yeah, yeah, there you go. 
and it gave her a peace of mind uh, because the uh, house was out in the country. Okay. Like her, me. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, within the first two weeks uh, that we took up residence in uh, my wife's uh, deceased mother's home, uh, my wife would uh, relay to me from time to time that she felt as she was being watched intensely. I myself, uh, at the time, being a complete skeptic, uh, dismissed the information as an overactive imagination, which I probably should not have. Uh, that was uh, uh, my belief until the evening of March 16, uh, 1998, when my eyes were widely opened. Um, on that evening, uh, I was having dinner with my wife and children, and my sister-in-law and her two children, uh, teenage children, were um, over to the house for dinner uh, just you know a few weeks after moving into the house. Uh, everyone had left uh, but my wife and I, and I was sitting in a position in the dining room at the dining room table area that allowed me to look all the way down the hallway into uh, one of three bedrooms, which was my uh, youngest daughter's at the time. Sure. <clears throat> at that point, I saw something that is still hard for me to describe, it was an aura of what seemed to be a woman's form with a lot, to me, of what seemed to be energy. Around in other form. words, indistinct, kind of a, a foggy light aura. Yes, sir. Uh, all right. And it definitely was it, was, it seemed to be the shape of a woman to me. Mm-hmm. I was so motionless and locked into what was happening at the time that I almost lost relative consciousness of what or where I was except for what was going on in that room. My wife was sitting over to the right of me and asked me what I had seen, and I described it to her, and she said something to the effect of, You too? You you too? Yeah. You mean she saw it as well? She had seen and felt things before me, and yet had never, over that period of time, that two-week period since we'd moved in there, can you, uh, can you hang on through the break? Absolutely, Art. Stay right where you are. When one sees it, you can imagine a bit of undigested meat. When two see it, well. Talk with Art Bell in the Kingdom of Nye from outside the U.S. First, dial your access number to the USA. Then, 800-893-0903. If you're a first-time caller, call Art at 702-727-1222. From east of the Rockies, 1-800-825-5033. West of the Rockies, including Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico. Call Art at 1-800-618-8255 or call Art on the wildcard line at area code 702-727-1295. This is Coast to Coast AM from the Kingdom of Nye. My suggestion, turn the lights down, turn the radio up, get as comfortable as you can because some of what you hear is going to require you be in a nice, comfortable place. 
by the way, with respect to my story about the Hotel Del Coronado, I just got this. Hi, Art. My sister-in-law actually works at the Hotel Del Coronado as a concierge. She says the ghost stories are real, and you can even, if you wish it, rent. I repeat, you can rent the haunted room. That's from Jeff in Amherst, Ohio. wonder if that's really true. Thank you, Jeff. And by the way, for any of you who have ghost stories out there, uh, just uh, send me a fax and tempt me. Tell me how good it is and give me a phone number. And if I am tempted enough, I will call you and get you on the air. My fax number is area code 702-727-8499. If you can't tempt me in one page, you can't do it, so hold it to one page. Now... Back to the gentleman who saw the apparition down the hall in the bedroom and then turned to his wife, and his wife saw it too, right, sir? Yes, she had seen it, but it was uh, at a different time. And so then what? I mean, did you sit there and compare notes with her or what? Well, I had the hair was standing up on the back of my neck, Art. I'm sure it was. And I, uh, I didn't know what to think. I just moved my, my wife and my children into uh, a house. And uh, I didn't know how long I was going to be there. Did you think about getting out? You know, I, at that point, I really didn't know. Uh, you, you know what? Um, I, I Actually, it's so easy to say, man, I'd be out of there like a shot. But the fact of the matter is, there are financial considerations. There are physical considerations. You have a wife. You have children. You have a lot of furniture. You've moved into a house. So you don't just immediately make a decision to... Split. Let me tell you, Art, uh, the, the rest of my notes that I have here for you that I compiled today, you're going to think more and more of why we didn't uh, actually get out. On, uh, on or around March 22nd, I was alone in the house. And my wife had left with her sister and uh, my children. They went over visiting for the day. Mm-hmm. It was around the noon hour. I was uh, preparing to leave for work. I'd just come out of the restroom that adjoined our master bedroom. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind, our bedroom used to be my deceased mother-in-law's bedroom. Oh. In a fairly quick instance, as I looked over my right shoulder, and I, I can see this as plainly as the day that, in my mind, as the day that I did see it, in just a few seconds' time, I saw my deceased mother-in-law leaning over the dresser area where her dresser used to be in her room. Mm-hmm. And it, it appeared as if she was leaning over to place something down. This time she was of more form? Yes. Uh-huh. Shortly thereafter, that situation, our, an interesting yet strange phenomenon began to occur. Uh, my deceased mother-in-law, had there was a beautiful type plush white carpet, very white carpet in her home. Mm-hmm. It was throughout the home. Um, there was no variance throughout any of the rooms whatsoever, and I, I'm just giving the details so the listeners understand what I'm, I'm about to say. One morning, I would believe it was the end of March, 1st of April, my wife said, honey, come look at this. And I said, well, when you walk barefoot on the carpet art, it, it would leave a, almost a type of imprint of your foot. I understand exactly what you're saying, yes. And so we experimented a little bit. This was not my wife's footprint art wasn't my footprint and it was much too large to either be either of my daughters sure 
So we just stood there looking down, and my wife said, I know it's my mother's. I know it's my mother's footprint, and she lived with her mother until she married me, until she was you know, 19 years of age. Mm-hmm. Um, she felt that, you know, also, too, from that time on, that the constant set of eyes or being watched was all the more ever-present. Our dog, on many occasions, Art, would stand up and stare across the house into our bedroom, whining, staring. In the summer, now, I've got to ask. It's an embarrassing question. You don't have to ask answer this, but um, if it was your wife's mother, yes, sir, haunting the house, in, present in the house, uh, didn't that kind of um, take the edge off moments of intimacy for your wife? Well, at that time, Art, uh, and like I, that, that is a. <laughs> A personal question. My wife uh, was only about three months from delivering our son. I see. You, 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 you say no more. That's she fine. Was very pregnant. Otherwise, uh, I can imagine it would be a problem. I, I can understand what you're saying, and I, I do. I do uh, agree to that. With that, to mom, mom, if you if you're listening, you know what I mean. Okay. In the summer months, another factor started to come into play. Our, and this is one uh, when I when I was writing it earlier this evening. Uh, because I'm listing this in as much of a chronological order as I can. Sure. I, I was reluctant to discuss this, and the only reason I am discussing it right now is after we'd moved out and we're living where we're living now, I asked my wife if she, and I, I didn't want her to think I was nuts, so I asked her, and she looked at me and said, yes, I had to, and uh, that, this is uh, the next part of the story. Um, at night in my wife and I's bedroom, which of course was my deceased mother-in-law's, at times my vision in in the dark, I would I would lay awake at times and it would start to blur. Eerie, if not demonic type faces would appear in the dark room. They would come. It, it was it was very sharp to me, and they would fade out slowly. That would be enough for me. The thing that bothered me about this art was, if this was my mother, it wasn't that obviously to me was not my mother-in-law. Obviously. Her appearance was not as foreboding as this particular situation. And I, I started, that's when I started thinking, my God, is, is, is there a portal or something well, else that followed. A, that's exactly where I was about to go. Um, we've got to wrap this up, but that's exactly where I was going. Is, is there a clothesline to this, or is that essentially a did you get out of there, or what? Well, at that point, those things were starting to uh, happen at the uh, end of uh, the summer. There were stumping noises on the wall, many occasions uh, at the noon hour, almost on, on certain days. Uh, frequently the phone would ring. There would never be anybody there. And the one thing that I would like to say, Art, and this is probably of some interest to you, um, I often wonder at this point if the intrusion, taking that nothing but a appearance by my mother-in-law in, in the last few recent days to my wife, has appeared. And there hasn't been anything since we moved to our new home. Mm-hmm. Well, um, but, all right. Listen, thank you so very much. There are two things here. One... 
It's pretty well known, and I can't explain why. Maybe you can. Maybe one of you can. Why a spirit apparently trapped on earth, or one that has not yet moved on, remains essentially in the same place, the same house, same geography, the same place. Why? Why? And the second thing that I would draw from that is, he said it himself. Do you think it might be true that once uh, something has come through or is visible on both sides, depending on how you want to look at it, that in essence a portal has opened, allowing not just the spirit of his mother-in-law but more to come through? That's worth uh, some thought. On our international line, you are on the air. Good morning to you. Hi, Art. This is Mark from Auckland, New Zealand. Auckland, New Zealand. Yes, sir. Welcome to the program. Yes, I have a bit of an unusual ghost story to tell. All right. Um, I frequently have out-of-body experiences, and uh, one time I uh, managed to catch a glimpse of my own ghost. What? What? Yes, <laughs> now, if anything would stop me from having OBEs, assuming I could have them at will, that would do it. You saw your own ghost. Yes, well, people who uh, frequently have out-of-body experiences will know that you can sometimes get stuck in your uh, corporeal body or physical body. This frequently happens to me, and this one time, um, a part of me separated... While my vision remained in my body, my physical body, and um, I saw this watery. Ghost oh my! Ghost. In other words, you saw, you saw your spiritual self, in a visual way, with the vision from your own body leaving your body. Yeah, I saw it walking across the room. Well, I I saw myself walking across the room. It was sort of a, like a third third person perspective. <laughs> Um, did that stop you from doing that? Um, no, that, that I've had um, more hair-raising experiences than that. That was, that was an unusual, though. But, uh, no, it hasn't stopped me. <laughs> it would have stopped me cold. All right, my friend, thank you. That's uh, from New Zealand. That would have stopped me cold. Uh, to, uh, to have the physical vision remain in a somewhat active mind and to see your spirit leave your own body and to realize that your essentially dead spiritless body is observing its own spirit leaving no thank you east of the rockies you're on the air good morning good morning hello where are you i'm in austin austin texas all yes. right um this story is kind of secondhand because it's something my mother told me happened before I was born. It's all right. What is your name? Sarah. Sarah. Okay, Sarah. Okay. Um, she was living in in Salem, Massachusetts, with my father. They'd gotten married recently. Right. And in the house they were living, I think it was probably an old house. These things started happening. First, the cats started acting weird, like they'd be running across the room, and all of a sudden they'd like there was a wall in front of them. Yes, I've seen cats do that many times. They see things we don't. Yep. And once or twice she said she found them in shut dresser drawers. Uh, cats? Yes. 
<laughs> They'd have gotten inside the drawer and it was shut behind them. Yeah. She was alone in the apartment. And once this, uh, the bathroom door was stuck, and she wasn't sure why it was stuck. She kept trying to get it open. My father wasn't home, so she had to get um, a neighbor to help her open it. And it took him a lot of work to get it open. And when they got it open, it was like 20 degrees colder in the bathroom than it had been anywhere else in the house. Really? Yes. And then my father would start, he would, feel, he, he would say he felt a hand on the back of his neck, but my mother was across the room or in a different room, and there was no one else in the house. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing that happened... My mom said this was the last thing that happened, and after that, nothing ever happened. My father came in the room where she was, and he was, like, all white and shaking, and told her that he had been walking up the stairs, and he saw this woman walking down the stairs towards him, and that she was wearing, like, old-fashioned clothes. That was all they told me. I didn't get any more detail than that. Yes. She, she was walking towards him, and then when, he got, when, when they passed each other on the stairs, he felt, like, totally cold all the way through. And then she vanished, and then they never saw anything else again. I sure do appreciate the story. I thought she'd want to hear it. Oh, you're right. Thank you. I wonder what it is about the presence of an entity that causes temperatures to drop. And by the way, I might add, measurably drop. I have interviewed any number of ghost researchers, and it's about half and a half. Some say... They're unable to measure the temperature to drop, but they can certainly feel it. The other half say they have measured up to, as this young lady said, up to 20 degrees and more of difference, sometimes right down to freezing. She mentioned cats and brings to mind the following. Again, from Canada. Canada must be a very haunted place. Aren't, where I live, we have woods by our house about seven-tenths of a kilometer by six-tenths of a kilometer in size. And in this woods is a man some time ago who hung himself, actually 70 years ago, when his wife had died at an early age. Seventy years ago, the land that everyone is now living on was farmland. And ever since those woods have been left alone, the only thing about the man was he was a cat lover. He had about four cats. And I can tell you there is something about those woods that is pretty freaky now. Every now and then, even now, there is a gathering of cats in the woods. No lie, I've seen them. They just sit around, ten to twenty of them. Tell you what I'll do. I'll try and get a picture of it next time it happens and send it to you. I believe the cats are gathering in this man's name. <laughs> West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Aloha, Art. This is Mike calling from Kihei, Maui, Hawaii. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Actually, I, I told you this briefly a few years ago. Um, my wife and I, my wife Bonnie and I, had gone over to Kauai pre-Iniki, the year before Iniki hit. Oh, the big, the big terrible hurricane, yes. It was a nasty one. We stayed at a, an older, fairly flat resort called the Coco Palms. It was nice. We had driven around the day. We went back to the hotel, pretty tired. And we went to bed after listening to the little band downstairs. 
sometime in the night, I woke up. I was on my back on in the bed, and something fairly large, kind of glowing, was at the foot of the bed. Bad. It was human-shaped, and it scared the bejesus out of me to the point where I was petrified and could not move. Describe it more than that. Human-shaped, uh, sort of a, a mystery or a... Uh, try and do a little better. Well, at least seven feet tall, if it was a person, it probably would have weighed several hundred pounds. Oh, so this is very large. Like 250, 300 pounds. All right. Uh, the perception I got was that it was kind of glowing like a glow stick. You know those green glow sticks you crack at night? Yes. Okay. Well, it scared me so bad, all I did was close my eyes. Whatever it is, it's going to go away. I'm closing my eyes. That's it. Mm-hmm. Woke up in the morning. My wife and I finished our time on Kauai. Went to Oahu, and driving from the airport over the poly to the to the other side, mm-hmm. I told her on the poly, I said, you know what, Dave? Last night, there was something in our room. And she turned to me, and the chicken skin started. That's when you get the, the goosebumps. So they call it in Hawaii, chicken skin. She freaked out with her big... Hawaiian eyes and looked at me and said, I saw it too. Hmm. And I said, well, what did you see? Apparently she must have seen a little more than I did and or perceived more than I did. Maybe she didn't close her eyes. (laughs) I sure did. (laughs) My wife says that she saw a very large Hawaiian float in through the window and stand at the foot of our bed and it was, to her, she said, it was very pissed off. Mm. It was... A pissed off Hawaiian. A pissed off Hawaiian. Now, I'm white. My wife's almost pure Hawaiian. I'm wondering, is this a Hawaiian ghost looking down seeing a local woman with a white man? I hear you. Angry. I hear you. That was very perturbing, and we both had chicken skin for quite some time that evening. One more recently, unfortunately, my wife's lovely father, uh, who lives over in Waimea on the Big Island, yes, uh, was diagnosed with a terminal cancer around May this year, and he decided that he would prefer not to fight it and would go with hospice care and prefer to live out his remaining time in the living room at home. And with a lot of the uh, homes here in Hawaii, we have day beds in the living room. No, I, I understand that. I, I think I would make the same choice. So, Shem, that's his name, you know, her dad, uh, spent out his remaining time in the living room on the, on the ho- beautiful hospice bed provided. Mom lovingly cared for him. And it was wonderful because he had time and all of us family could come by and say aloha. Well... We're staying there, and he has not yet passed away, and the only room left because of all of the ohana, or family over, is mom and dad's room, which they really don't sleep in too much anyway, because they sleep in the living room. Anyway, dad is still alive, but getting near the end. This was within three days of him passing on. Mm -hmm. My wife and I go to bed about 11 o'clock at night in the parents' bed, 
I'm sleeping on my stomach, and something gives me a finger jab poke through the mattress into my ribs. It felt like it came up about two inches. Yes. It woke me up, scared the hell out of me, and I said, Bonnie! She goes, what? It was something poked me in the ribs. And I rolled over onto my back, and she goes, are you okay? I go, yeah, but what was that? She goes, I don't know. And then something, the pressure of someone sitting down on my legs. And I said... On your legs? On my legs. I said, and I'm getting chicken skin now. I'm freaking out remembering. I said, babe, it's sitting on my legs. What am I going to do? She says, it's okay. It's all right. It's probably just dad, his spirit, coming into the room saying, you're in our bed. I said, well, he's not dead yet. She says, I know, but this is his house, and he can move around when he wants. Sure. I said, babe, can I please sleep in another room? I can't handle this <laughs> too much. She said, okay. So we switched with her sister. And Dad passed on shortly after that. Uh-huh. We have not yet my, myself. She's returned to visit Mom twice. I'm a little leery about visiting. Why do you think... The state of Hawaii is such a haunted state. I don't know. <laughs> it is, though. I, I've had guests on who have told story after story, like the ones you're, uh, you do, like the ones you just told. Hawaii is a very, very haunted set of islands. There's and no question about it. You and your wife, well, your wife's from Oahu, right? Uh, that's correct. Thank you for listening, Art. Thank I you. hope your audience <clears throat> keeps in mind that the loved ones are close by. All right. Take care, sir. Aloha. All right, that's it. Uh, tonight, all we're doing, as you can already tell, are ghost stories. Real ghost stories. And it's so easy to do. You know why? Because there are so many of them. Almost as many of them as there are you. We'll be right back. to the best of our bell. All right, I'm on my way toward being caught up here. Sorry about that. I get caught up in the stories, and it just it just happens. Um, here is a gentleman who works, or did work, actually. He did the same thing I did in a 911 dispatch center. I guess fire dispatch center. Where are you, sir? I'm in Birch Bay, Washington. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Art. Um, you're... You're about to tell me that you have had ghosts call 911? In a way, yeah. It was basically to, um, oh, gee, it would, would be well, well over a 100-year-old emergency, I would say, of a dying woman in a small Mexican village on the banks of the Santa Ana River. My God. A 100-year-old emergency. Mm-hmm. Middle 1800s. 1864, to be exact. <laughs> So it's a time travel story as well as a ghost story. I guess it is, huh? Well, it may be that where the spirits are, there is no time as we quite, you know, exactly understand it or think we do. Oh, sure. And, you know, if they have a story to tell, it can wait for eternity if it has to. 
Well, apparently uh, one did, at least part way. Well, let me tell you a little bit about how this started. Uh, I had just started at this uh, fire communication center. It was on the banks of the Santa Ana River. This was in 1984. Okay. And... Uh, Basically, it was a uh, 24-hour operation. We were on a 24-hour shift, so we would sleep and eat and pretty much live there for an entire day and then be relieved by the relief crew and uh, work that type of schedule. Uh, so normally, my shift would end at 8 p.m., from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. I would get to sleep from 8 p.m. till 1 a.m. and then go back on the board till 4 in the morning. Gotcha. And we just, that way we could at least get a couple hours of uninterrupted sleep. Mm -hmm. Well, I thought the strangest thing was that none of the dispatchers would sleep in the dormitory, which struck me as really odd. They all seemed afraid of the place. Hmm. And you know the dispatch personality. They're usually guys that are rock-solid individuals. Oh, yes. Are not, they're pretty fearless people, basically. But uh, we'd have guys sleeping in the hallways or bedding down in the lounge, you know, that type of thing. Well, I'd been on for about a week, and I got woken up uh, in the morning uh, by the intercom saying that, you know, I could sleep till noon because I was going to have to work a 12-hour overtime shift. Mm. Someone had called in, slip, or called in sick, and I was uh, basically up for it. Well, about a half hour later, and, you know, usually these things happen when you're dead asleep, I felt something lay across my legs, and there was a groan like somebody going, Ugh, you know, when they're stretching. Yes. And I woke up and I saw this kind of a, um, it wasn't a mist, it was almost like a gelatinous fog breaking above my head. And the room was pitch black dark, which was really a strange thing. So anyway, I stumbled out in the dispatch center and asked the people if, you know, what the heck was going on and, you know, why are they playing games? And they all gave a conspiratorial look to each other and said, nah, go back to bed, we'll tell you about the ghosts later, right? <laughs> oh, so yes. I said real good well, after that. Yeah, right. Well, anyway, it was uneventful. I came back for the next shift, and that's when the weirdness happened. Uh, one in the morning, just a little bit before one in the morning, I, I went into the strangest dream I've ever had. I was walking along the banks of the Santa Ana River, and it felt, I mean, I knew it was 1864. I just knew it. And I thought, this is the strangest dream. Uh, for one thing, <laughs> I'm here. I'm, a, you know, I can feel the wind on my skin. It was just barely blowing. I could hear the leaves rustling. I could feel the sand crunch underneath my feet along the banks of this river. Right. And I thought, wow, this is, re this is really interesting. It's, I know where I'm at. I'm right by the fire dispatch center, but the city's gone. I mean, there's nothing here. And, you know, where are all the children and the You animals? mean you were literally seeing the same geography minus the buildings and the people? Except for, you know, differences, the variations of, of a river as it changes over the year. But my oh, internal my. radar and compass told me I was exactly at the fire dispatch center. I was actually walking up to it, approaching uh, northbound along the banks of the Santa Ana River. <laughs> and I saw this small house. Yes. Kind of like an adobe little house, like you would see part of a ranch here or a very small village. And this woman appeared in the door. And she was she was what you would call, oh, gee, probably a, about a 20-year-old, uh, really beautiful senorita. I mean, she was just gorgeous with long flowing hair, and a smile that would melt your heart. I mean, this was like, wow, you know, what's going on? Anyway, she beckoned to me to come to the door. And as soon as my foot hit the threshold of this little house, I was kind of transported into her, if you know what I mean. It's like she melted with me, for want of a better word. Mm, Spock, we were like one person. Spock would say mind meld, yes. Almost like that, but not quite as like, you know, as trite as you would expect something on Star Trek. This was like a total 
two bodies and two souls instantly mingling together. Wow. And it was an instant feeling of, like, warmth and love and a, a tremendous sexual rush, which uh, later on I found out that that's, that happens sometimes. Anyway, she kind of separated from me and beckoned me into the house, and I went in there, and she showed me this old woman laying on a bed. Uh-huh. And prior to entering the fire service, I'd been an ambulance driver in L.A., and you pretty much know when a person's ready to breathe their last. And this woman was definitely, she was what they call chain-stoking, that, uh, you know, final type of breathing. Uh-huh. And she had on a... Um, kind of like a floral print uh, shift dress. Yes. And this girl started to tell me that, you know, she was the last of the small village, and she had stayed there and taken care of all the people that were sick, and they had a uh, oh, a drought and a famine, and some type of terrible disease had come through the community and killed a lot of people. And basically everybody just packed up and went upriver to try to find a better place to live, took all the children and healthy people and animals, and they all just split. Makes sense, yeah. And she was the last one taking care of the last person alive that could not make the trip. Well, to make a long story shorter, she basically uh, started telling me how all these people died. This is when the dream got really bad. (laughs) I mean, it was like I was trapped in this place. If you know, well, you obviously know the the personality of a dispatcher that's fully in control of his environment. I certainly do. I mean, you are the savior of the city. Otherwise, you'll never make it. Anyway, it was the first time in my career that I ever felt totally trapped and scared and wanting to just get up and run from the dispatch center, even though, you know, I wasn't there, but I was. Right. All these faces started coming at me. They were all like Mexican villagers, which is what lived in that part of uh, California at the time. And as each face came at me, I died with them, and they were talking to me. And one after another after another, it must have been a hundred faces just coming. I mean, like, you know, literally face to face with me. And I felt the pain of their death. Uh, I take it you didn't sleep in there again. Oh, I did. (laughs) I was not going to let this, I was going to get to the bottom of what the heck was going on with this thing. Anyway... There was, the, you know, I used to hate it when 1 o'clock would roll along and the dispatcher's voice would come on the speaker and say, you know, get out of the sack, it's time to hit the board. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the dispatcher that was handling the shift came on and he pulled me out of, my, out of my sleep. Anyway, I stumbled into the communications center, didn't even put on my uniform. I was drenched in sweat. I had this big lump in my throat. These tears were just like pouring down my face. And he looked at me and said, what in the heck happened to you? So I told him, I think I just got visited by a ghost. And that's when he finally said, oh, these, these darn ghosts, you know, it's like they've been banging on the switchboard all night. I've had this creepy feeling like something's standing here watching me, and I can't take this anymore. I'm going to go sleep in the lounge. I'm not sleeping in that dorm anymore. So I figured, okay, well, you know, there is something here. It's not just me. Well, what ended up happening is uh, once my story came out, all the other guys and the women that worked there started opening up to me and telling sure. me their stories. Sure. We had a Mexican dispatcher. Uh, he was basically a guy that, uh, to him, true love was finding a hooker that would take 25 bucks. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he just—he was just the most lazy person I've ever met. You know, took a shower maybe once a week if he needed it. Yeah. And But he told me this really interesting story about how he would have these nightmares that he was totally trapped in his bed, like something was crushing his chest. And he would talk in Spanish, and the other dispatchers would say, yeah, you know, when... This guy's sleeping. He starts speaking Spanish, and that's when he's having these nightmares. Well, uh, it's obvious uh, to me, sir. Thank you very much for your call and your story. It's obvious to me what was occurring. 
I, too, worked in a 911 dispatch center in Monterey County. And on a daily basis, even an hourly basis, you deal with life and death. Actually, I found it to be too much, and I spent a year at it and uh, bailed out. But you, you deal with life and death. I'm the kind of person that takes my work home with me. And so it was not the job for me. But a place of haunting? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, of course. A place of crisis? A place where death is documented nearly on an hourly basis? Sometimes more? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. On my first time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Art. Hi there. Where are you? Paul from London, Ontario, Canada. London, Ontario. Haunted Canada. Yes, sir. Yes, and actually we are pretty haunted. Um, actually, the one I've got is from, happened when I was about eight years old. Uh, we were a bunch of us sitting around, messing around, and the guys I was with decided to hold a seance. And we were sitting in my friend's basement, and... You, you decided to hold a seance? Well, yeah, you know, you're... You know, that's, that's like, you're really inviting it. Well, yeah, that's, that's what, I like, I didn't take part. I sat off in the corner going, no, I just, this isn't for me. Uh-huh. Besides, I didn't really believe in that stuff at the time. I that, that after that, I really changed. Um, halfway through the seance, I kept hearing these strange noises, and we were sitting in his basement, and they just kept going, shh, shh, stop making noises. And I was like, well, it's not me. They're like, yeah, sure, just shut up. We're, tr- we're trying to get a hold of this ghost. And all of a sudden, I something made me look off in the corner. He had an old TV that his dad was going to throw out sitting in the corner. Well. When I looked, I noticed it started to glow. Mm-hmm. And after a few minutes, it just exploded. The, it, te- the, the television exploded? Yes. The whole screen blew out. And what did it for me was the fact it was unplugged. Like it, the, the thing is, the TV was unplugged. When I looked on top of it, I saw other, other people have called in before about it, seeing the dark man. A well, dar- the dark man? Yes. I saw a dark... I, I could tell it was a man. He was sitting cross-legged on the TV, wearing a long coat. He just looked at me, smiled, nodded, stood up, and disappeared. <laughs> I'd be out of there so fast. Well, the thing is, no one else saw it but me. They kept... They, they well, were I mean, yeah, but what about the television? You said the television... Oh, ex- they, all saw the tar- they all saw the TV explode. His mom came downstairs yelling what happened. We were just, uh, nothing. Like, I couldn't tell her, well, there was someone on top of the TV made it blow up. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, a television under no circumstance, sitting there, sedentary, uh, not plugged in. Televisions do not explode, period. Oh, I know that. Even plugged in once. That'd be it for me. Well, the thing is, it, that, like... For me, I, I, you'd think you'd be scared, but I was just looking at it going, okay, that was odd. <laughs> and, I mean, since that day, I've seen the same dark man every so often out of the corner of my eye. or so, it, It's almost like he's watching me. Maybe he's waiting for you. Well, that's what, that's what I think, because, like, ever since then, I've seen him, and if I don't see him, I'll hear, like, I'll hear him call my name. Yes. And the thing is, it's it's loud and clear. Other people have heard it, and we can be in an empty hallway, and we'll hear my name clear. Maybe one day when he calls your name, 
you will go with him. Oh, that's what I thought. It, and the thing is, though, like I said, I'm not afraid of it. It's almost like he's there protecting me for something. Maybe. Maybe you should be afraid. Well, everyone says that, but I don't know. Like I said, it's just something about him doesn't seem to be scary. Uh-huh. He just seems to be there. He he doesn't seem to be presenting any harm to me. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, you've got to consider that He's there for a reason. Oh, that I'm that I'm pretty sure of. I mean, that it was since that day I've started seeing other ghosts as well. So I understand. All right. Well, I I appreciate your call. Um, I'm a little hesitant to suggest to you that you may be associating with somebody who who is going to uh, take you from where you are now to where you will eventually be. Wildcard line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. This is Alan in Pahrump. Here in Pahrump? Yes, sir. Excellent. <laughs> Almost neighbors, I guess. I, uh, before I start my story, I uh, had to chuckle when I, um, I don't remember, I guess it was a, a letter you read or a fax about someone from Canada and the cat story. Oh, yes. You might want to mention to the, uh, to the listeners about uh, the fire we had here last week, and they pulled out, what was it, about 104 cats? They were dead out of the home? I don't know if you read that in the newspaper. Yes, I did. Yeah, it was pretty gruesome. Uh, Pretty horrible, yes. Uh, Pahrump is a strange place in so many ways. Are you outside? Yes, I am. As a matter of fact, I'm on the porch. Not mine, I presume. (laughs) Well, I'm not exactly sure where you live. No, (laughs) My wife says I talk loud, and I didn't want to wake the kids up. Oh, I see. So you're outside, and we're getting a little bit of wind tonight. It looks like we're going to get some rain, huh? It sprinkled a little bit and chased me in earlier. Actually, you know, it's... um, it's kind of a spooky night out here, isn't it? Yeah, it's overcast. It has been all day, but not quite this bad. All right, listen, um, I'm at a break point, so I'm going to hold you over. And since you're in Pahrump, obviously, there is no charge. Okay. So stay right where you are. We're telling ghost stories this night, and that's all we're doing. If you wish, call it Ghost to Ghost. If you wish, call it anything you want. It happens to nearly everybody, as I said earlier. There are nearly as many stories as there are all of you out there. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. Kingdom of Nye. From east of the Rockies, dial 1-800-825-5033. West of the Rockies, including Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico, 1-800-618-8255. First-time callers may recharge at area code 702-727-1222. And you may call out on the wildcard line at area code 702-727-1295. To reach out from outside the U.S., first dial your access number to the USA, then 800-893-0903. 
This is Coast to Coast AM from the Kingdom of Nye with Art Bell. Kind of pitch, thunder. Good morning. I'm Art Bell, and all we're doing tonight is telling ghost stories. We'll get right back to it. We have a lot of documented ghost photographs. By the way, you should see the one on my website now from 1906. Here in the desert, when the clouds and the wind and the rain come, it's very eerie indeed. And here is my caller again. Out on his porch still? Yes, I am. Uh-huh. After a quick turkey break. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir. Uh, from uh, here in Erie, Pahrump, what have you? Well, um, back in 1983, I was a young married father, and I took my wife and little baby. We moved to California to Long Beach. Um, I had a rather low-paying job, and I had an uncle that offered us an apartment in his apartment building if we managed it, so it was for free. Um, it was a little one-bedroom apartment, and we were so poor we didn't own a bed yet, so we had a fold-out couch. So we put the baby in his crib in, in the one bedroom, and we slept out on the couch until we could get a bed. Um, every night, usually about 9 or 10 o'clock, the baby would wake up just screaming, hysterical. We'd bring him out, and as soon as we brought him out, he would calm down and, and go to sleep. And it got to the point for about a month where we wound up having him sleep with us every night. Uh, we finally got a bed, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, switched rooms. We put him out in the front room in his crib, and we slept in the bedroom. Sure. Um, I guess it was about a month or so went by. One night I was sleeping, and I started having this weird dream that turned really scary. Now, um, as I was growing up, there was a period where when I was a young kid, I had scary dreams all the time. And I guess out of necessity, I taught myself to wake up when a dream got too scary. Now, this happened to me. I woke up. Um, I was laying face down on my waterbed. Mm-hmm. And something had a hand in the middle of my back mm-hmm. and had a hand on the back of my head and was shoving me down into the water, into the pillow. And I couldn't breathe. So I opened my mouth to talk oh, to call God. for help to my wife. Yes. And whatever it was, it bound my tongue. I couldn't talk. All that was coming out was a bunch of gibberish. So I was struggling back and forth, and whatever it was was incredibly strong and shoving me down into this waterbed. And I figured, well, if I wiggle back and forth enough, I'll wake my wife up. Well, she woke up, and she says, my gosh, what's going on? And she flipped on the light. And as soon as she turned on the light, um, whatever it was released me. And she, I looked up at her, and she looked at me, and she says, oh, my gosh, what happened? I feel this. It felt, she ex- described that the room felt like it was just filled with hate. And I, expl- I explained to her what had happened, and, and it was just... <laughs> You know, I didn't sleep very much that night. You know, we. Oh, thanks a lot. I've got a waterbed, <laughs> and up until now, I've loved it. Well, um... I can only imagine that uh, that that was uh, attempted murder. Well, let me finish the story, and, and it, it gets even creepier. I, uh, you know, we we said a couple of quick prayers, and the room still felt creepy. We didn't sleep much that night. Um, I was also working for my uncle, so the next day I told him what had happened, and he kind of scoffed at it. He says, oh, yeah, right. I've never had anyone else complain about living in that apartment. And I said, well, I wonder what happened. And then he got kind of serious for a minute. And he goes, well, there's something I didn't want to tell you. He said, a year before you and your wife moved in, um, we had um, a couple that lived there. And the man was this, was a drug dealer. And he wound up getting murdered in that room. Somebody came in and busted in and shot him with a shotgun. <laughs> and I said, and you're trying to tell me you don't believe, you know, what I'm telling you. You think it's just a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. And he really didn't say much after that. And uh, that's basically my story. Up until then, of course, I'd never believed in ghosts. 
And that, after that, I've been... <laughs> that's enough for me, sir. I've been converted. I, I appreciate the call on the dark, rainy night. You bet. Take care. That was attempted murder. That was attempted murder. Can you imagine having that happen to you? A presence that you can't possibly fight pressing you down into the bed. Pressing your tongue so you cannot speak. Your head, your back into the bed. No, thank you. Um, good morning. You're on Ghost to Ghost AM. I'm Art Bell. Where are you, please? Uh, I'm in Tampa, Florida. Tampa, Florida. Yeah, I'm listening to you on the net. Okay. Um, my story uh, goes back to when I joined the Navy. Uh, well, I, I joined in 1980 as a nuclear power electrician and got assigned to the USS Enterprise in 1982. Oh, the Enterprise. Right. And um, the biggest nuclear power carrier in the world. She will not fit through the Panama Canal. She has to go all the way around. I believe that. I went through the Panama Canal myself on a, uh, uh, on a, on a large uh, you know, cruise liner. And as we went through, we scraped the sides of the <laughs> ship, so it was that close. Well, um, it, it has to do with uh, uh, ghosts that have been there for uh, quite some time. They've been there for a very long time. Um, the refit took three years before I even got to the ship. They took the superstructure off, put a new one on. And I was just getting to the boat as she came out of uh, her refit. And so uh, these guys who assign watches uh, were telling me, uh, do you want a mid-watch and five and six switch gear? And I said, I don't know. And they said, well, you know, there's a ghost. Well, I'm not a Navy it. guy. Five and six switch gear, what's that? Um, that's where the um, uh, five and six switch gear is where the... Uh, Controls for the ship service term generators are ah. for paralleling and taking up and down. Generators, okay. Okay. And um, so I, I didn't really much believe him, and he gave me a, a mid-watch. And I stood a mid-watch on five and six switch gear and uh, heard somebody roaming around in the, in the back room. Because what we had in one of that one switch gear, we had our, our little office where we had our morning meetings and we had our, you know, gear pullers and our electrical equipment in there. And it sounded like someone opening, closing drawers and moving around. Mm. And I walk in there, and there's only one way in and out, one door. And you can see it from the switch gear where you're at. And I open the door, and there's nobody in there. And, you know, I thought, well, maybe somebody's messing with me, but there was never anybody in that switch gear. And th then I come to find out there was another ghost haunting number two and three switch gear. And by the way, if there's any listeners who were on the Enterprise who were in EE30, Electrical Engineering Group 30, they can verify this. Um, and two and three switch gear, there was also a ghost. Now, from what I was told, these guys who were haunting had uh, been vaporized by opening disconnects when they were fully energized. Yeah. And what that had done is it drew an arc and created a fireball and vaporized him and the switchgear around him. It just vaporized everything it touched. And so these people were instantly turned into uh, gas. Yeah, cinder. Right. And um, the one and two and three switchgear was uh, more prevalent. Um, one guy told me, he says, uh, 
Yeah, you can't sleep in two and three switchgear because uh, he'll keep you awake. This, and, uh, yeah, this is very common. You know, when people die that way, completely, unexpectedly, instantly, tragically, that's when they seem to remain. And the thing was, he, he, he was, he was like a, a guardian. You know what I mean? He was making sure that the guys didn't fall asleep on watch, because he'd do something to you. Now, I, I was just. You know, I was wondering about the one, two, and three because I hadn't ever seen it. So I decided to play a trick, and I decided to, to pretend I was nodding off. And it felt like someone grabbed the back of my head, my hair, and yanked my head and jerked it to wake me up. <laughs> and I was like, man. <laughs> and that, that did, that, that just, you know, sends a shiver up your spine. I take it you stayed awake on future watches. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was really, really something. And, um, you, and you're telling me. That anybody who was on the Enterprise, EE-30 that time, could verify this. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. There's, there's absolutely no doubt. In fact, one guy left his post screaming from 2 and 3 Switchgear and said he'd never stand watch there again, ever. And he never told anybody what happened. And, and he wasn't in electrical engineering group 30. He was uh, a, a conventional electrician. Sometimes... Really good at conventional electricians. They'd let Stan watch um, on those switch gears. But the, see, the thing was, is there was the there was the nuclear electricians, and there was the EE thirty. What what uh, kind of voltage and current were running through those? Four fifty. Four hundred and fifty. Right. Um, a tremendous can't current. The ratings of those generators. Uh, tremendous, I'm sure. Um, we had eight turbine generators in all, and there were. Four, uh, react, or there were four main machinery rooms and two reactors for each. So we had a total of eight reactors, and each reactor, I believe, was one megawatt each. So we were running about eight megawatts of power when we were churning and burning. I appreciate. Uh, I'm sure you were glad to get off the Enterprise. Well, you know what? I I, I never really had a problem with them. Uh, it didn't it didn't really scare me. Uh, was there any doubt about the fact? Now you say you tried to, you sort of pretended to be asleep. Yeah, I was trying to see if it was real. Do you think that it could have been your imagination? Oh no, oh no. When someone comes up to you and grabs your hair and jerks your head, you know it. You're right. You know it. I mean, that's that's something. And it it it, it happened to every anybody who ever fell asleep in two and three switch gear. Hmm. Boom. They get waking up instantly. You could uh, never, never fall asleep on there while you were on watch. Appreciate your call, sir. Yep. Thank you. Take care. He's right. There would be no mistaking somebody grabbing your hair and yanking your head up with there. First time caller line. You're on the air. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Mr. Bell. How are uh, you? I'm sorry? I said, how are you? Uh, pretty good, and yourself? Fine. Where are you? I'm calling uh, from southern Indiana. Southern Indiana. Yes, sir. Uh, well, uh, I'd like to answer your questions first. Uh, you had a couple, like, uh, why do ghosts stay in one place? And uh, uh, I think there was something right up about uh, uh, why does the temperature change when there are uh, ghosts around? Well, I think the last caller was a very good example of a ghost that remained uh, exactly there. And if, if that one didn't do it for you, I've got one from San Antonio, Texas, that'll curl your hair. That was uh, that was uh, fairly scary, but uh, I was wanting to explain to you why ghosts stay there. The 
Now, uh, I'm speaking from uh, the philosophical point of a ceremonial magician. I don't know if you know anything about, like, ceremonial magic or uh, Kabbalah or uh, ritual magic or anything like that. I know a little bit about it. Uh, are you familiar with uh, the philosophical elements like earth, air, fire, and water? I am. Well, they have spirits associated with those there, uh, intelligences of sorts that are that are similar to animals uh, as far as their intellectual level. Mm-hmm. But uh, sometimes, uh, see, elementals can feed off of emotional energy that people put out. That's right. And when people pass away, uh, they'll leave uh, their astral shell or astral body behind. And sometimes these elementals can can take control of these astral shells. And uh, they'll present themselves as a ghost when, in fact, uh, they're elementals, but they'll, they'll take on this form. And, uh, like, for example, a deceased father or a mother or something, and uh, when this person feels an emotional uh, attachment to this image they see, that elemental can draw energy from that individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one reason why uh, ghosts stay around like that. Uh, so, in other words, they they produce uh, the, one of the greatest emotions a human can have, mortal fear, and then feed from it. Yeah, fear, love, any, any kind of emotion, anger, uh, hate, uh, anything, elementals can uh, feed from that. Not all elementals will do that, though. That, that has to be something that's, that's learned from them, uh, c- kind of trained. Like I said, they have like the intelligence of animals. So. Mm-hmm. But uh, that also has to do with the, the temperature change. The temperature change in the room, because, for example, like uh, a water elemental could produce a, a cool temperature in a room. But uh, why would a spirit be bound, like the spirit on the Enterprise or the spirits, to well, in effect stand uh, stand guard? Now, I'm going to tell you a very quick story, very much like it. I think a lot of the audience may have heard this, or perhaps not, but it is a true story. Believe it. In San Antonio, Texas, a school bus full of children stalled on a train track. A train hit it broadside, killed all the children uh, or the majority of the children on the bus. A horrible tragedy in the San Antonio area. And ever since, at that particular intersection, if a car stalls, uh, in fact, people go and test it. They actually take their car and they drive onto these train tracks and stop and put the car in neutral. And the car is always pushed um, or seemingly moves by itself off the tracks and onto the road on the other side into safety. Now, they have tested this. They, they have taken cars and put them on the tracks with talcum powder on the back of the car. Actually, I, I have heard of this, Mr. Bill. This true story. And when the car reaches the other side of the tracks, there are children's handprints to be found in the talcum powder. And this, this can be done repeatedly. It'll occur again and again and again. And the story from the Enterprise reminded me of that. See, uh, something like that would... Uh may work on the same lines uh, that a, a talisman may work. Now, a talisman, I don't know if you're familiar with like uh, how talisman, talismans operate, but when a talisman is created, it creates a, a vortex of energy that draws things to it. So, like, if you create a talisman to, say, uh, bring money into your life or love or whatever else you bring, you make the talisman for, it creates a magnetic attraction to that. Uh, now, it's curious that there were several people 
involved in the in the accident when there were quite a few people together and an accident like this occurs there's a great amount of fear for a split instant before they're they're killed uh that goes through their minds now this is this would be imprinted on the the material that was around them at the time so that that could work very similar it could create a imprinted on the material yeah, like for example, uh, the uh, the land around it, the specific uh, area where the accident happened, the railroad tracks. Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, iron is a very good uh, conductor for etheric energies like that. Let me tell you a little story because we're out of time, uh, but that you mention it. Scientists are now believing that material things, wood, glass, crystal, in fact, most material objects carry memories and scientists are actually getting to the point where they can extract these memories kind of like a video show kind of like the uh, if that motel bed could tell a story <laughs> but I'm very serious about that material things that soon may be able to uh, relate what has happened around them to the best of Art Bell. Here we go, uh, and I think we're going down to San Diego, California, and we're going to hear from a police officer named uh, Steve. Steve, are you there? Yes, sir, I am, on this dark and stormy night. Uh, yes, uh, the bad weather, um, the eerie weather is sweeping up through your state toward us uh, very quickly indeed. Steve, you um, are a member of uh, San Diego PD? Yes, I am, 12 years. 12 years? Yeah. How long ago did this occur? This actually happened uh, about 12 years ago. I was uh, just out of just out of the academy, and I was assigned to a field training officer, and we go through a couple phases of that. And uh, I was working in the southeast area of San Diego, which at that time was a pretty high-activity area, a lot of crime. Mm. And uh, the guy I got assigned with had been on almost 30 years and was pretty much the classic grizzled and and beaten veteran. So and, kind of like the rookie and the old warrior. Yeah. <laughs> basically the new blood and the, uh, the crusty old guy. 
And uh, we were driving down uh, one of the boulevards down at about 3 in the morning. And as we approached the intersection in a, in a residential area, we saw a, a male standing on the corner. And as we passed him, he appeared to be bleeding profusely from the head and from the face and just looked like he'd just been stabbed several times. And uh, as we passed by, we both looked at each other and said, hey, did you see that? And I said, yeah. And, and I was driving at the time. And I, I flipped the car around real quick and drove back, and we both got out of the car, and, and we couldn't find him. He was he was gone. And, and this is this happened over a period of probably maybe three to five seconds in the time it took me to put on the brakes and, and spin the car around and drive back. And, and he was gone that fast. He was gone that fast. And we got out of the car, and we checked up and down the street, and... Uh, there was no blood trails. There was absolutely nothing that ever indicated he was there. And uh, we got back in the car, and we sat there quietly for a moment. And we looked at each other, and we asked each other again. We said, hey, you know, did you did you see this guy? I mean, he had to have been there, right? And we both confirmed that we both saw him. And uh, we pretty much decided not to tell anybody after that. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I was pretty, con- uh, pretty convinced that that's what we saw. We were thinking maybe it was a, a recent murder victim or something that may have May have again been restless or something, and uh, did you uh, write a report up? Oh no, no, <laughs> no, no. We just, uh, <laughs> you know, we just talked about it with each other, and and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think uh, we let it go out of the car at that time. Uh-huh. It was just uh, from that point on, it really was uh, something that I thought about occasionally, and and convinced me that certainly there's something out there that uh, we're just uh, not aware of. Boy, do I appreciate the story, Steve. Yeah, you betcha. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, sir. Good night. Take care. San Diego police officer. Convince me there's something out there. That's right. There is something out there. Uh, something we don't understand, we may never understand, but it's it, you can be sure it's out there. As I keep saying, there are probably as many stories out there as there are all of you. And and you don't really get them until you invite them. And you've got to invite them in a certain way. You can't invite them and ridicule them. You can only invite people to share uh, once they become aware that others have seen uh, some of the same things that they have seen. And then the outpouring is hard to stop. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Mike from Sacramento. Hello, Mike. How are you? Um, my story starts, I'm a stuntman, and I do a lot of traveling around the country, and I was in Coral Gable, Florida, and there's a big hotel there called the Coral Gable that used to be Al Capone's, like, hangout. Mm. And so I went down there to do a film with a couple of buddies of mine, and um, as I walked into the hotel, it's this huge palatial uh, hotel that, uh, you know, something. Like a huge mansion. Was it a movie I would remember? Um, Bad Boys. Bad Boys. With uh, Will Smith. I think I do recall that. Yes. Yeah, I've been in a lot of films, and I've, I've come a lot of, across a lot of ghosts too. But this one was the scariest one that's ever happened to me. And so I walked through the door, and I was with my friend Richard, and I turned to him. I said, "This place is haunted, man. This place is haunted." Goes, I said, "Did you feel that when I walked through the door? It's like a cold wind." Now this place is huge. It's not little. It's massive. And so uh, we got assigned to our room, and I was the only stuntman that was on the fifth floor. And so I went to bed early because I had an early call that morning. And so around 11.30, um, I hear a knock at my door. I get up, look out, and there's nobody there. And I, one of the guys is playing a joke on me, right? So I lay back down, start to go to sleep, and I start feeling my covers being pulled off me. Right? <laughs> and I sit down, and I, and I look down, and I 
thought someone snuck in, right? So, okay, whatever. Knock at the door again. Go to the door, nobody's there. Now I'm getting kind of irritated, and I'm hearing like a party going on down the hallway, and it's like noise. I'm trying to get to sleep. I got I got a 4:30 call. I'm getting real agitated. So I lay back down again, cover myself up. The covers start pulling off me again, and I'm saying someone's short sheeting me or something here, right? Right. I get up. Door knocks again. Open up, and there's a guy at the end of the hallway wearing a tuxedo and a red uh, carnation with his hair slicked back. And he looks kind of odd because it looks like a period, like a period suit. Yes, like sir. a 1920 period. Yes, sir. And I looked at the guy and I said, hey, bud, you know, I'm trying to get some sleep. i got to go to work tomorrow. Could you just knock it off? It's not funny. And he kind of laughed and turned and walked down the hallway. So I shut my door, and all night long, party, at party, I called downstairs, and I said, look, you know what, I'm going to have to change rooms. This floor is way too noisy. And she says, oh, you're on the fifth floor. I went, yeah. And she says, okay. So I hang up, go to sleep, and I didn't sleep much that night, and I get up the next morning, and I go down to the lobby, and there's a historical society booth right there yes and i said uh, excuse me i said is this place haunted and she started laughing she says oh this is one of the most haunted places in north america and i'm going oh thanks i said she says you weren't staying on the fifth floor were you and i said yeah she said, well that was where the morgue used to be during world war ii it was converted into a hospital and that was the morgue oh my and i went well great so immediately i went to the front desk and I said i'd like to be moved off the fifth floor that's what i would have done it was pretty, and even talking about it gives me the heebie-jeebies. Can I tell you one more quick, quick story? Very quickly, yes. Okay, I was at uh, Rosemary Clooney's house, and uh, used to, the house used to belong to Russ Colombo. And Russ Colombo was a crooner during the, like, the 20s. He was like kind of a predecessor to uh, Bing Crosby. Yes, sir. And so I went into their bathroom. I didn't know their house was haunted at the time. I went into their bathroom, and I started going to the bathroom. And some guy behind me goes, hey, buddy, what do you think you're doing? And I jumped, literally, out of the bathroom, zipping myself up and running into the front room, going, oh, my God, there's a guy in your bathroom. <laughs> You're probably not needing the bathroom. No, no, no. And after that, I was like, I was like, hey, I don't, my <laughs> friend, uh, Miguel, who, who's Rosemary's son, uh, started laughing. He goes, oh, that was Russ Colombo. He goes, uh, he's always playing tricks in the house. He's been dead. He got shot in the head here. Oof. So, uh, you, you, wow. Oh, my. Shot in the head. Yeah. Got, by accident, it was one of those uh, fake cannons. But you know, you like you buy through mail order or whatever, and someone had put a BB or a marble inside it, and when it was set off, it ricocheted around the room and hit him in the head. All right, I appreciate the call, sir. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Wild card line, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Art. Hi there. Where are you? Uh, Houston, Texas. Houston. All right, yes. you're going to have to yell at us a little. You're not too loud. Oh, okay. Well, my name is Mary. I'm originally from Houston. But I lived in Georgia, a small town in Georgia, just outside of Atlanta, called Covington, Georgia. Very historical little town. Beautiful area, old uh, southern mansion-type homes. Yeah, oh, beautiful. Yeah, well, I lived behind the mansion in a garage apartment overlooking the cemetery mm-hmm. on Elm Street. And when we moved into the apartment, my brother-in-law was kidding me about it, saying I would never be alone. Okay? Yeah. Well, I figured, you know, it's because of the cemetery. Well, one night, my husband, he worked out of town, and he would only come in on the weekend. So I was there by myself all the time, which is kind of spooky anyway. But I'm not, you know, prone to uh, let my imagination run wild with me. Well, early in 1975, I was at the house, uh, the apartment, all by myself. Mm -hmm. I'm shaking just thinking about it. And I had the TV on, and it started acting funny and was picking up um, 
Houston, Texas. You know, ads. Really? <laughs> right. Okay, the apartment, I could not get it to stay warm. And I was just restless that night and just wandering back and forth between the bedroom and the living room. And at the top of the landing, it was 13 steps down to the to the front door. Natural. And had a little window. Mm-hmm. Okay, in this little window, I saw like a face. Okay? And I kept hearing this humming. I kept turning off the TV and everything and listening, and I heard this humming. Now, it wasn't like a... Uh, like a heater humming, you know, the air or anything like that. It was mm-hmm. actually very cold. So I was nervous. I stayed up all night. I could not sleep. I kept hearing this humming, but it wasn't like a mechanical humming or anything like that or electronic. It was like a, a voice humming. Okay. So being I was up all night and everything, I decided the next morning I would take a walk. So I walked out there, and I was looking at all the old Confederate... Um, tombstones, everything, all the unmarked graves, you know, oh, yes. the cross on it and everything. And when I came back over to the apartment, uh, there's one little sectioned area there with wrought iron and everything, and it had about six tombstones in it, so I walked around it, and I'm looking. This was so freaky. There was a young lady whose tombstone was there. She died back in, I believe it was 1873. Mm-hmm. Her name was Mary Robbins. She died when she was 16 years old. My maiden name was Robin. Oh. Needless to say, we moved. <laughs> you got out of there. <laughs> yeah, it was just too strange, too frightening. I must say, um, graveyards are very strange places. I mean, they really are very strange places. Well, they are quiet neighbors. But that night... Quiet neighbors. Um, <laughs> no, you can feel them. Uh, I, thank you very much. I've got a little story for you. My wife and I love Paris, France. You know, City of Lights. We go back there and we'll go back again. Paris is uh, a magical town. Whatever you may say about the French, and there's a lot you can say about the French, Paris itself is just... Uh, uh, there, there, there is no city like Paris. Very romantic town. In our last visit to Paris, uh, we decided to travel about, oh, I don't know, 20 miles outside the center of the city and visit the burial place of Jim Morrison. It was a very, very, very large cemetery. And we had a very difficult time finding the burial place of Jim Morrison. And I finally got sick of looking, and there were tombs everywhere, and they were truly ancient, uh, back in 1800s, uh, late 1700s. It was creepy. I mean, they were all around you. Uh, You were literally in a field of graves, many of them uh, decrepit, many of them the, ins- the inscription's very difficult to read, and I, I finally got sick of looking, and so I said, I'm just going to sit here and wait. And Ramona would uh, hike up the hill and look for Jim Morrison's resting place. But just sitting there by myself, in the middle of all these very old stone graves, 
I don't want to tell you because I, I, I would be lying that I, I could feel a presence. Because I didn't. I felt a kind of universal presence. A kind of reverence that I can't quite explain for a, a place where many, many lives um, came to rest. So, no ghost story there, just a, a very eerie feeling. We did, uh, incidentally, find uh, the resting place of Jim Morrison, ultimately. But sitting there by myself, with all of these crypts, many of them crypts around me, very odd feeling. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Hello? Hello. Good morning, Art. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. You're going to have to kind of yell at us a little. Uh, this is Dave from northern New Jersey. Yes, sir. About 40 miles west of New York City. Okay. A lot of people out here love you. Thank you. And we're tired of the Art Bell bashing from the local affiliate. Oh, you, you, you refer not to the local affiliate, but to Curtis Sliwa. Correct. And his little angels, his band of angels. They're supposedly coming out here to uh, talk to me. He talked about it for the whole past week and a half. Yeah, that's what I've heard. In any event. He ruins my NFL Sunday, and there'll be hell to pay, I'll tell you that right <laughs> now. Any, anyway, do you have a story? I've got a wonderful one. All right. Uh, it's a little bit long. I'll try to condense it for you. I got in my parents a puppy back in 1980 because my dad had recently lost his hearing. And I had read that it was very cathartic to healing to get an animal for a person that went through a traumatic loss of the sense. It absolutely is. It lowers blood pressure. Right. Uh, scientifically uh, proven again and again. Listen, uh, it's going to take obviously a moment for this uh, story to unwind, so let me go ahead and do the break and come back and we'll, we'll get it full on, all right? Okay. Okay, stay right there. Yes. Yes, if uh, Curtis and his little band of so-called angels come out and screw with my NFL Sunday... They're going to be haunting the halls of WABC. You hear me, Curtis? From the high desert, I'm Art Bell. This is Ghost to Ghost AM. Kingdom of Nye, this is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. From east of the Rockies, call Art at 1-800-825-5033. West of the Rockies, including Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico, at 1-800-618-8255. First-time callers may reach Art at area code 702-727-1222. And you may fax Art at area code 702-727-8499. Please limit your faxes to one or two pages. This 
is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Now again, here's Art. Once again, here I am. We're only doing one thing tonight. That's ghost stories. And they've been good ones, too. So, in a moment, we'll continue. Go right ahead. Okay, I got the puppy from my dad back in 1980. Uh, it was a highly evolved little animal, a Cairn Terrier, mm-hmm. kind of like Toto. There are some uh, dogs and cats that are more evolved than others. Yeah, she was definitely a unique animal. Mm-hmm. And even though I didn't live with my mom and dad, she was my dog, which is kind of weird. No, anyway, it, no, no, not really. That ha- it happens. In the uh, in October of 1991. She developed a lump on her back that got bigger and bigger and bigger. Oh. We took her to the vet. Turned out she had an inoperable type of cancer called fibrosis sarcoma mm-hmm. with a 1 to 3% cure rate, right. which is like a death sentence. Right. So I didn't want to accept that. And I must have taken her to eight or nine vets throughout the state of New Jersey. And my friends thought I was crazy, you know, getting obsessed, being obsessed, whatever. No, I understand. Anyway, to make a long story short, I finally got networked in with a veterinary oncologist down in Red Bank, Central Jersey, mm-hmm. and he was affiliated with the University of Pennsylvania Veterinary College, a teaching college, and he had just heard of a new interferon-based drug that had been approved by the Department of Agriculture, which is the government arm for drugs for animals as the FDA is for people. Sure. And he gave her the treatments, and she was cancer-free within three months. The tumor receded. It receded, and it, it just kind of popped off, and it was like a kind of bowl of jelly on her back, and they operated, and it was gone, and there was no trace. Wow. And she made the front page of the Esbury Park Press, which is the main paper for central New Jersey, with a readership of about a million, too. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she finally got cancer back again in... Uh, August of 1993. Yes, sir. So it extended her life about two and a half years, approximately. And we've had, we had to make the decision to get her euthanized. Right. Even though we didn't want to. Right. But it was for her best interest. And it's tough when you lose some, something you love. And I felt very, very close to her. It's very hard. And I prayed. And I prayed. This is down at my mom and dad's, about 80 miles south of where I live. And I asked God if God would please give me a sign to let me know that she was okay. Hmm. Now, I just have to interject one thing in here. When she was a younger dog and healthy, because she was a little dog, I used to have this little game with her where I'd pick her up, kind of rock her back and forth, and gently, like, throw her on the bed. Sure. And she would land with, like, a boom, you know, passing on the bed. Right. Wagging her tail and waiting for me to pick her up to do it again. Right. So I get back home the following morning, you know, after we had her euthanized. Got back to my apartment, the middle of a beautiful August day, and uh, I'm sitting on my bed, and I think this happened during the day, purposely, so it wouldn't frighten me. And if, if somebody had told me this art, I would have a very tough time believing it if it didn't happen to me. Sitting on my bed, all of a sudden, I hear a thump to my left, and I instantly turn, Right. And as God is my witness, there are four indentations of, of like paw prints on my bed, right into the mattress. 
It was not of this earth. Oof. And at that point, I got a chill, and I'm getting a chill right now. But it made me believe that there really is something after in respect to the fact that this happened because I prayed for it, and I felt incredibly lucky that God heard me and God answered me. I believe every word of it, every single word of it. And it was the most incredible thing that ever happened to me in my life, you know, to this day. I really appreciate your telling the story, and I, and I thank you, sir. Thank you, Art. I uh, had a cat. You know, I'm a big cat person. And I had a cat named Yesu. I named him Yesu after... Uh, after the Yesu Radio Company, they make ham gear, you know, so I thought it was cute to name a cat Yesu. And Yesu was 20 pounds plus. Yesu was a big black cat. And Yesu was an outside cat. I, I now don't let cats outside, but Yesu was an outside cat. He was a, he was a macho SOB, I'll tell you. I got in, I, I, there were a couple times I actually got into fights with Yesu, but most times we loved each other. And uh, somebody shot Yesu, and I didn't realize it. And I, but I did realize that my cat was extremely ill, possibly dying, and... Uh, Unfortunately, the bullet hole um, was not visible. Uh, somehow, the bullet had gone in and exited and gone right through Yesu's body and wasn't visible. You know, the fur, I guess, the blood clotted, I don't know, the fur covered it. I had no idea this cat had been shot. Yesu, uh, to make a long story short, died in my arms. Something I will never forget just died in my arms. And uh, ever since then, I have felt at various times, many times, the presence of Yesu. That cat and I were very close. And I felt the presence of that cat many times. So, do I believe that story? Oh, you bet I do. Good morning. You're on the air. I understand you have a rather interesting story for us. Where are you, please? I am in uh, beautiful downtown Monticello, Minnesota. Yes, sir. Uh, just north of the uh, Twin Cities and listening to you on uh, KSTP AM 1500. I suspect KSTP goes all the way to the North Pole. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it does. Yeah. I, um, with a partner, do a lot of uh, work with ghosts in the Twin City area, and uh, we've had uh, several... You mean you do this professionally? I would say semi-professionally because it's not uh, constant enough to be professional by any means. All right. Um, you know, it's occasional once, once um, every month or two you get the, somebody says, help me. <laughs> but um, we did have a um, very interesting encounter um, about a year and a half ago. Uh, it was my, my brush with fame. And... Uh, the most famous person I can say that I've uh, had a long conversation with would, in fact, be the late, great John Dillinger. I beg your pardon? Uh, that, would, that, in fact, would be it. Uh, John Dillinger, uh, public enemy number one. You spoke with John Dillinger? Or an entity claiming to be such. How? Uh, please explain the circumstances. 
Okay, um, let me go back a little bit. And uh, as with the work I do, I don't like to use the term seance. A very superstitious term has a lot of negative connotations. Yes. I prefer the more enlightened term of a circular gathering for communication with the mortality impaired. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, let me get that straight. Circular gathering for communication with the mortality impaired? That is it. Uh, I've got to remember that one. All right. But um, we decided uh, about a year and a half ago <laughs> to um, a group of us have a strong interest in uh, 1930s gangsters. And so we decided to have one of these circular gatherings to uh, talk to Mr. Dillinger on the anniversary of his death, which was uh, July 22nd. Uh-huh. And so the first half of the evening, we uh, invite uh, whatever entities want to come to us. It's like kind of a warm-up. And uh, we spoke to several different entities at that, during that time period. Aren't you afraid to do that? Aren't you afraid to open a door, a door which uh, you have no idea... Well, we take, what's going we to take, walk through? We take precautions. Mm-hmm. We, do, we do a lot of work to protect ourselves. Uh, we call on higher powers and uh, whatever your faith system, be that God, angels. Mm-hmm. We do call on their assistance. We're not going to. We're not going to be foolish about this. <laughs> um, I would. I have a healthy respect for these things. Um, and uh, being interested in documenting this uh, occurrence. We did have tape recorders on hand, and because uh, sometimes you can get something known as electronic voice phenomena, which is basically recordings of ghost voices. You bet. And, you know, that was the ultimate hope, but at least just to kind of document what happened that night. Um, the first half of the, uh, of the evening, we spoke to several different entities, um, and we did uh, have the recorder in operation, and the um, played back that first half of the tape, and we don't get any... EVP, but we do get, you know, at least the room noise and the P- and the human side of the conversation. Take a short break, and uh, after that short break, we uh, call on Mr. Dillinger, and about five, ten seconds after we begin our, our work, something enters the room claiming to be John Dillinger. We speak to him for about a half hour, 45 minutes. Now, when you say you speak to him... Uh... Via Ouija board? Uh, no, no, no. I, I. You mean aloud? Aloud, and um, we get basically psychic impressions back. Um, Ouija boards. I, I kind of have a very strong feeling about Ouija boards. So do I. Um, they can be a useful tool, hmm. but it's a little bit spiritually like uh, opening your door and inviting the first person that passes by on the street to come in. That's right. You just don't know what you're going to get. Um, so, we, you know, we were speaking to this, this entity, and uh, it answered a lot of questions. Um, we, you know, we know a little bit about Dillinger and had some specific questions, uh, like the fate of uh, some of his uh, gang members. And uh, at the end of the evening, we played that tape back, and about five to ten seconds after we begin the, uh, the work, the tape goes completely blank. Not even the human side of the conversation, yet most of the people at the table could see that the tape recorder was in operation. Okay. I'm curious, uh, with all the work you did, you must have some recordings, some interesting recordings. Have you, have you kept them? You know, I've kept them. I have yet to come up uh, for any of our, our works where we contact 
anything or uh, cleanse the house. We have yet to come up with any decent EVPs, although I have not had really good recording equipment there. It's usually uh, pocket recorders. And, um, what was it that Dillinger said to you? Um, well, we, uh, we had quite a, bit of, quite a few questions for him. Uh, one of the more interesting things was uh, one of his gang members, Red Hamilton, was uh, supposedly shot in the back in a chase from Hastings, Minnesota to St. Paul, Minnesota, mm -hmm. and died several days thereafter. There had been rumors that uh, Red Hamilton indeed did not get killed and made it out alive and uh, hid undercover, much like the rumors about Butch Cassidy. But uh, we asked John Dillinger about that, and uh, he said, well, yeah, of course, Red got it out. He, he was fine. He lived to a ripe old age. What was interesting about that is three or four people at the table did get the distinct impression that at that point we were definitely being lied to. And some of them even went so far as to suspect that uh, maybe John Dillinger killed the guys to speed the death along so he could uh, run further faster. <laughs> well, what would you expect from John Dillinger? Yeah, well, I mean, he's... He got a reputation as, as a cold-blooded guy, and then uh, there were some apologists recently saying, uh, well, no, he wasn't so bad, but uh, maybe he was. <laughs> maybe he was. I sure appreciate the story, sir. Okay. Thank you, and uh, take care. Hello, Art. Having just heard the story from your fellow townsperson, or Perumbian, if you will, I thought I would multiply the impact of that story. About 15 years ago, while sleeping in my upstate New York, very old residence, I was aroused by the growling of my husky shepherd, but I could not awaken. I was paralyzed, unable to move or speak. The absolute sensation of a person kneeling on my chest and restraining me delivered one of the most solid moments of panic I've ever known. I was, I assure you, totally conscious, but powerless to move my limbs or cry out as the weight of this apparition, apparition rather, seemed to increase. The entire time my dog kept barking and growling. I concentrated on the sound of his voice until I was suddenly able to sit up and force the intruder off my chest. Within a heartbeat to my utter amazement, the curtains of my room were shoved aside. Even though the window was closed, my dog confirmed what I had seen by leaping to the window and continuing the barking and growling. It took a full 30 minutes before my dog would come and sit with me on the bed. And there was no more sleep to be had that night, and I stayed with friends for a few nights following that incident. Yeah, I really love hearing stories about Pahrump. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, Hart, hi. Hi. Uh, some Friday stories tonight, and um, by the way, my name is Dan. I'm calling from uh, Woodland Hills, California. Yes, sir. Um, i got another terrifying story to share with you. Fire it's away. Actually, yeah, it actually happened to my father back in 1961 uh, down in Dana Point, California. And um, like I said, it is rather terrifying. He was coming home late one night from work, um, and uh, the house he was living in had partially burned down, so he was back in an add-on home in the back. Um, he was getting ready for, for bed, and uh, like I said, this is 61, and there were some um, some of those rather kind of deco lamps hanging up in there that had the 
strings that you pull to turn them on. Oh yes. Uh, it, you might you might remember. Sure, I do. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he um, had just gotten ready for bed and turned the lights off, and the lights were controlled from a switch on the wall. Right. And uh, so he didn't turn them off from the, the pole; he just did them from the switch. Well, he laid down to go to bed, and um, uh, the the room was completely sealed, and the mattress he was laying on was rather low to the floor. It didn't have one of those box springs. Right. Well, he laid there uh, just for about a minute or two, trying to get to sleep. And as I said, the whole room was sealed shut. He started to notice and actually hear these strings for the lights uh, jingling, just ching, 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 ching. And uh, he started getting, you know, wondering what that was. And he was just looking straight up at the rafters on the ceiling. And at that moment, he, uh, it still frightens me today to, to talk about this, he heard a, um, actually just didn't hear, but he felt a moan and a breath blow into his ear like a, oh, like this. Oh, boy. And uh, um, it's the kind of stuff that you hear about, but uh, my father's a very serious man, and he's never had experiences like this before, and um, it really affected me. So he was laying there, and, of course, as I've been hearing this evening, he was just completely petrified. Um, but he heard this the, the thing still rattling uh, as if there was some kind of motion in the room, and this thing did it again, moaned into his ear louder and longer. Well, you, this, you go uh, into a kind of a state of shock is what happens. I guess it is. I guess the system goes into a, a complete shock. But he definitely had a sense. Um, this happened a third time. And this happened over um, probably, probably would seem pretty uh, for him, but he said it was just a couple of minutes. Um, he definitely had a sense beyond the shock that he had to, he had to move. He was in utter um, danger uh, for right. whatever reason. Um, I don't know if it was right. possession or... Or, or what? It's fight or flight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, uh, so he, he was there, but like I said, he was overcome even over that with, with, with a sense to, to get out of there. So he summoned every ounce of courage he had, and he jumped out of bed, ran across the room, flipped the light switch on, looked back, and of course there was nothing there. Uh, but the things were still moving up there. Well, needless to say, he got out of there and never slept in that room again. I wouldn't. But it's, uh, it's affected me so much that uh, I, I actually cover my ears when I sleep at night because of that story. <laughs> For me, it's closets. I never go to sleep with an open closet. <laughs> there are things in closets. You always close closets before you go to sleep if you're smart. If you don't want things coming out of them, you close them. Amen. Thank you for the call, sir. Sure. All right, we're going to break here at the top of the hour. There is more. If you can handle it, if your heart can handle it, there is more. This is what we call Ghost to Ghost AM, and I do it when I get in the mood, and this is one of those nights. It's dark, it's kind of windy, and a little bit of rain in the air in the desert. Kind of eerie. It's a good night for this. I'm Art Bell, and this is Ghost to Ghost AM.
And now, back to the best of Art Bell. Here we go again. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Art. How are you and where are you? I'm fine. Uh, I'm Derek. I'm calling from Metairie, Louisiana, which is right next door to New Orleans. Uh, which is also the home of Anne Rice. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and she gets lots of, uh, lots of attention around here. Sure We've got a, a nice spooky night. Uh, down here too. It's extremely foggy right now. So, well, look, you live in an area, yeah. fog or not. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. It feels like you're swimming no matter what time it is. Right. But anyway, about ten years ago, uh, around 1988, uh, me and my girlfriend, and my girlfriend's friend, ex-girlfriend. These are all ex. But me and my ex-girlfriend, my ex-girlfriend's friend, my ex-girlfriend's younger sister. And my ex-girlfriend's younger sister's friend were all together one night. It was a Friday night, uh-huh. and we were looking for something to do. So we said, "Hey, uh, let's try a Ouija board. What's that?" You know. And I, I really wish that I would have known what your earlier caller said about you never know what you're going to get into because we really didn't. And uh, I, being the you know scientifically minded, decided to to do it in a way that you know it couldn't be faked. You know, I just wanted to make sure that all the bases were covered. And that uh, whatever happened would really happen, you know? Yes, I have so, a lot of respect for Ouija boards. Thank you. <laughs> okay, good. We uh, turned off all the lights. We lit, lit a few candles. And uh, I had my, my girlfriend and her friend sit across from each other with a Ouija board on their lap. And the other two youngsters were just on the sidewalks. And this was great Friday night entertainment. So I just started asking questions. And I said... Uh, I said, you know, the two girls, uh, my girlfriend and her friend, had their hands on a little pointer thing. And I said, I want you two to look eye to eye the whole time because I wanted to make sure that they wouldn't be able to see what was going on on the board. Okay? Right. So I was asking questions, very general questions like, you know, is there anybody out there? You know, stuff like that. And, you know, they'd move the thing around and it'd go, you know, close to yes, stuff like that. And I was like, okay, well... Let's uh let's narrow it down a little bit more. Uh, are you a a boy or a girl? You know, and it, it it fooled around the board, and eventually we ended up getting some sort of man. Okay, I couldn't tell you the history of this man, but it started to feel a little bit eerie. It started to feel like the board was was not joking around. You know, it was it was starting to talk to us. Right. And uh, so, needless to say, we were all feeling a little tense to begin with, and. Uh, I started asking questions like, are you a, a, a good man? And you know, I go to no, of course. I say, you're a bad man. And then I go to yes. And this whole time, uh, the people who are moving the board are not looking at the board. And I was asking the questions, and I was reading the answers. So the, the younger girls are starting to freak. I'm starting to freak. So I say, well, yep. it's about time that I ask a question that's going to call his bluff, that's going to prove that this really isn't happening. So I said, well, how many people are in this room right now and it went to six and at first i was like oh you see i told you but then it hit me that there were five of us in the room and he was the extra one <laughs> and it was six and we i mean we just freaked yes of the, course the, the, the young girls bust out into tears we felt a presence in the room that uh-huh. scared the living daylight out I of us. I it, was, it was unbelievable so i just all I can tell you is my experience with the Ouija board was similar. 
and I won't get within a thousand miles of one. I'll never touch one again. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and the weekend after that, we were like, you know, y'all want to do it, y'all want to do it, but no thanks. No thanks. It, it really, right. to this day, ten years later, I still remember it, and I still tell this story. Uh, and I, I believe every word of it. Thank you very much for it. Um, look, I won't even talk about it, but I'll, I'll tell you that uh, you be wary. Don't think it's fun. Ouija boards are invitations to, it's, it's like, a, I guess it's like getting on the radio and inviting everybody in the audience over to your house. You know, you have no idea who's going to come through the door. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hi. How are you doing this morning, Art? Well, I'm okay, I guess. I'm getting a little freaked out at my own program, like usual, but... I'm all right. Uh, that you know, it just goes with the territory. Yeah. Um, now this is from a, an earlier caller. He was on the Enterprise back in 1982. That's correct. Um, I was on the Enterprise in 1984. Oh, I can, really? I can verify what he was saying. I was in a different department, but I can definitely verify what he was saying. Really? Yeah. Um, mine is from the same time frame, 84 to 88. I was in a in a squadron, uh, one of the fixed wing squadrons that was on board. We were uh, to do some temporary duty on the USS, uh, just for Independence. And so a few of us went over there with it. I'm I'm one of the cooks out of that squadron, so uh-huh. I said, "Yeah, I'll go with the guys, no problem." Right. And uh, we were told that you know some strange things happened on board that ship. And I'm going, "Okay, yeah, whatever." Well, I'm in one of the the voids. It's a uh, a room that's just used for whatever, and this one just so happened to be for a lot of our dry storage for the for the galleys. Mm-hmm. And me and this one guy from that's normal ship's company, we're sitting there, we're talking, we're going over inventory, and he goes, "Hey, you want to hear something real, really freaky?" I said, "Okay." I said, first of all, you got to turn down the radio." Well, there was no stereo in the room. <laughs> okay, there's a bunch of music. He goes, "Well, that's part of it." I said, "Okay." And he goes, you just stick around here for a little while. You're going you're gonna to see something really strange. Now, you know, there's boxes all over the place with uh, cans of dried goods or fruits and stuff like that. You're talking around 25 to 30 pounds each box. And all of a sudden, at the complete other end, the boxes are just starting to fly. What? Like something is just going right through them. And I'm the one that's facing it, and the guy's looking the other way. We're standing right there by the hatch. And uh, he just sees this look on my face, and he grabs me, and he pulls me right through the hatch, and he slams it shut, and it sounds like something just ran right into the hatch. Oh, and I'm going, what in the hell was that? He goes, oh, that's just the beginning. You don't know about this ship. And uh, there was nobody else in there but us two, mm. and we had already looked everywhere. Right, we were going through making our inventory. He goes, come on, I'm going to show you something else. So we go into this other void that's completely empty. Except over on one one of the bulkheads, one of the walls, there was a former hatch there, but it was all bolted down. Right. I'm going, okay, so this is, you know, nothing new. I used to play poker in some of these rooms and stuff like that on the Enterprise. And he goes, oh, no, just sit here and listen. So we're sitting there just shooting the breeze for a little bit, and all of a sudden I hear a whole bunch of banging and a whole bunch of yelling. And it was kind of muffled. It sounded like it was coming from the other side of the wall. And I'm going, okay, so what's going on? And it was getting louder and louder and louder. And it, the more that you listen to it, the more you can hear, help us, help us, don't let us drown, just, you know, help us, all this. 
I'm going, what is going on here? He goes, come on, we're going to go explain it to you. So I'm sitting there with a whole bunch of these other guys. You're telling me this is a bolted hatch? Bolted hatch. What had happened was a torpedo hit, perfect, right into the uh, one of the old tanks where they used to hold the um, jet fuel. And there were a whole bunch of guys down there at that time scrubbing it out because it had been contaminated with something. They had to completely empty it, scrub it down, dry it, and then refuel it with uh, jet fuel. No problem. Well, well, these guys were down in it. I believe it was during World War II. A direct torpedo hit right into that uh, tank. It was already empty, so it didn't, you know, completely blow up. But all these guys drowned in there. They had to close all the hatches that led to it. So it was called watertight integrity. This way, the water wouldn't spread out throughout the ship. Right. All right. But oh, all these men drowned God. in there, and you. And that's it. what you were hearing. Oh yeah, that's what we were hearing. I don't. I don't know if I could stay on board a ship like that. Well, there's oh, there's a lot more <laughs> going up. The, now this is all on the Independence. Go up there to the bridge to go visit a couple friends of mine that I knew from high school that I knew were there, and uh, I was telling them about these two experiences, and they said, "Oh, that's nothing." Oh, yeah, there's more. And just as I said that, all the instruments were blinking. Um, the uh, standard compass that we have, a humongous compass, at least three feet in circumference, yes, sir. was just spinning. It was just going like... It was hooked up to a mechanism to where it was just going to start spinning. I hear you. Well, electromagnetic disturbance around things like this is fairly common. Yeah, it was just... I mean, to this day, I will never forget it, especially hearing the screams that were on the other side of that bulkhead where those guys were that had drowned, and then seeing all those boxes fly around, 25 to 30 pounds each. I would not handle that well. Uh, I appreciate the call. Sir? Appreciate the story. Thank you. I wouldn't handle that one well at all. Not well at all. You know, the, the implication of that is, and I'm still trying to figure this out as we handle these kinds of stories Uh, what what is that? Certainly, it cannot be the lingering souls of men who died such a horrible death. Can it? Reliving that again and again with some kind of hellish consciousness? No, I wouldn't handle that well at all. Uh, good morning. You're on the air on. Ghost to Ghost AM, if you will. I'm Art Bell. Where are you, please? Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. My name's Denise. I'm calling from Sacramento, California. Hi, Denise. And the story I have for you, by the way, I've really been enjoying the ghost stories. Well, enjoying is a word, I guess. I'm not sure if it's a proper one for some of what we've heard, but... Uh, not some of them. Yeah. Perhaps. Anyway. So anyway, my story is... Um, my mother, she uh, drove down to Lodi, California yesterday. Both of my grandparents are buried there. Oh, yes. And she went down to see <clears throat> her uncle, my grandmother's brother, mm-hmm. with her brother, my uncle. And they usually stop by the cemetery to see my grandparents. And she is not a believer in ghosts. But uh, I think, I don't know, she might have changed her mind after yesterday. 
she went by the grave site, and she usually goes by to um, do a little visiting. And she was knelt down, had been, she was saying some prayers, she says to herself. Right. She says, this, all of a sudden, there was this film in front of her. It was just like a film. And she said it wasn't there that long. And she said, then pretty soon it was just gone. And she said, it was strange. And I said, you don't believe in ghosts, huh? She, she's not a believer, but I am. And there are a couple other odd things that have happened with that particular. Well, I'm a believer. I, I don't know, I don't know exactly what ghosts are. Oh, I don't either. But they are something and um, and what i'll tell you what i want to believe thank you i i want to believe that they are the echo the remnant of what once was not the remaining consciousness of what is because to believe that as that man said in that terrifying story that those men eternally remain Reliving that horrible death again and again, that drowning, that's too much. I don't want to believe that. I would rather, I, I'd much rather believe that like an endless tape loop, it's some sort of what a weak echo of what was. But I can't be sure of that. Can you? East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Good morning, Art. Good morning to you. And how are you doing this? evening. Well, I was better earlier. I, I understand that. <laughs> well, uh, like the previous one of the previous caller, I am calling from New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans again? Unlike Metairie. Yes. Um, now, for most listeners, if you've never been to New Orleans, it is a very eerie place to come to. It, it really is. Yeah, especially at night. They have uh, vampire tours now. Vampire tours. Uh -huh. In the French Quarter, you can take a vampire tour. You can take haunted, you know, mansion tours. I absolutely am coming to New Orleans. You know, it's, there are, it's amazing the things that you'll find out here. Especially, one of the most amazing things to visit if you are not, you know, a, a native of New Orleans. One of the things that you'd want to come to if you were a tourist is the cemeteries. Mm -hmm. The cemeteries are unlike any other cemetery in the world, okay? Because all the cemeteries are above ground, mm -hmm. okay? So they're, I mean, they're just they're they're tremendous, and just some of the sculptures and statues in these cemeteries are just. It's, it kind of sounds like the one I was in in Paris. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, um, but what I'm calling to to tell you tonight is um, uh, there's suburbs of New Orleans called New Orleans East, and I do live in these suburbs. Uh, there's one particular suburb called Village de Les. Now, uh, as story goes from way back when, Village de Les used to be kind of like an Indian, not, you can't really call it reservation, but the Natchez Indians used to settle on this land. It was a lot of swamp land. Right. Um, now, how the story went was when an Indian died, uh, or when a Native American died of the Natchez tribe, they would take the Native American and put him in an old oak tree. When that oak tree fell, whether naturally, you know, or if lightning struck it or something, the soul of that Indian would go up, you know, to wherever. Hmm. Okay? 
Now, here's how the story goes. There are a lot of haunted houses or houses that are haunted or people hear things or whatever in this subdivision, yes. especially on one particular block where I have a good friend of mine who lives there, Teddy. Um, now, we've heard, you know, things go on in that house, you know, like sometimes real late at night you hear like a faint jingle of bells, you know, something like that, or you hear beating on walls, you know, or you just feel gusts, you know, small gusts of wind from nowhere. Yes. You know, eerie things. So we had a friend of ours who was, a, who, you know, she was a Native American also, and she had a father, she had an uncle, um, who practiced it, you know, who practiced and always went to, uh, um, the tribe things. I can't remember what you call them. Tribal, um, tribal gatherings. Yeah, exactly. In Mississippi. Listen, um, we're, at the bottom of the hour, I've got a break here, so stay right where you are, will you? Okay. Now, I've never heard that before. It reminds me of a book I read. They would actually bury their dead in a tree and wait for the tree to fall for the soul to ascend. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. Kingdom of Nye from outside the U.S. First, dial your access number to the USA. Then, 800-893-0903. If you're a first-time caller, call Art at 702-727-1222. From east of the Rockies, 1-800-825-5033. West of the Rockies, including Montana. Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico. Call Art at 1-800-618-8255. Or call Art on the wildcard line at area code 702-727-1295. This is Coast to Coast AM from the Kingdom of Nine. There is more in this world than we know, isn't there? such reverence for that line. Good morning, everybody. We'll get back to it in a moment. Back to New Orleans, Louisiana, a very haunted city uh, at the best of times. You're back on the air, sir. Yes, hello. Hi. Okay, um, now like I was saying, uh, we had a, uh, a girlfriend of ours, um, but uh, anyway, uh, her uncle was a... Uh, person who was Native American and he, you know, uh, practiced it. Or, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, anyway, but I'm going to get to that in a second. Uh, what happened was, um, basically, uh, my friend Teddy, he did experience, you know, uh, this beating on the wall, you know, and um, just weird things happening in his house. Now, uh, his parents are divorced and he has a sister. Now, whenever his sister was in that house, they never had any problems. Mm. That was something that we always found weird. 
But whenever she was out of that house, when she was at her mom's, there was always problems, you know. That's very interesting because um, that's almost opposite of a lot of other ghost stories. Uh, typically, uh-huh. teenage girls carry these incidents with them, and this seems the opposite. Exactly. Um, but one night, you know, we were all stupid teenagers. We decided <laughs> um, that we wanted to put on a little seance, you know, and bring up Jim Morrison. <laughs> Jim Morrison? Yeah. Um you know, because we were avid Doors followers, you know. So we uh, mm-hmm. lighted our candles. We had a book on, you know, seances, you know. And uh, we tried to do it, and, you know, nothing happened. Now, the following weeks to come wreaked a lot of havoc in that house. Um, the first incident to occur was the microwave going off on his dad's hand while his dad's hand was in the microwave. That was one of the first occurrences. Um, the second, the biggest occurrence was when the garage windows blew to the outside. In other words, they didn't the the glass didn't blow inside like somebody threw a rock in the garage. They blew out onto the grass. Hmm. Okay. And that kind of freaked us out. You know, that with more beating on the wall, you know, late at night, you know, and everything like that. So we got Andrea's uncle to come in, okay? And he sent something as soon as he walked in the door. And he walked in every room of the house, um, and in every corner he burned, in every corner that pointed toward the north, he burned a little bowl of sage. Um, apparently he explained to us that sage was a peace offering. Now, what he explained to us that there were three souls in the, in the house, or on that, on that land. Two of them were bad, and one of them which was good. He said that the jingling that we'd hear at night sometimes was that of the good spirit, okay? trying to ward off the evil from hurting him and his family. Right. You know, Teddy and his family. Um, he said the banging on the wall and everything else that occurred that went wrong were those two evil spirits. Apparently, um, Andrea's uncle was explaining to us that they're evil and that they're upset because they're stuck in, like he said, limbo. They're not going anywhere. They're staying right there. and They cannot get out. But the day that he burned that sage, there has never been... Another incident occur in that house. Well, he said that we shook something up in there when we played around with something bad. He said that what happened was we were doing, we were getting in over our heads. In other words, mm-hmm. very we easy were, to do. We were playing. He said we were playing with fire too close to gasoline, <laughs> and he said that that really, really upset the evil spirits that they have in that house, you know, and it kind of, you know, peed off, you know, the uh, the uh, the good spirit, Some, because the good spirit was trying to keep the evil away from them, away from us, um, but uh, Andrea's uncle came in, and he was the one that explained to us about the Natchez Indian burying their dead in the trees, and when that tree would fall, you know, from age or whatever, then the spirit, you know, of would that be body released, yes. would be released. Mm-hmm. And um, he explained to us that those were a couple bodies, and there are there are a couple other spirits and other houses out there in Voyage the Last that are haunted. As I said earlier, even at the best of times, sir, in your city, uh, it's a haunted kind of place. Now, I think that the book that I read that kind of parallels what he just said, actually it comes pretty close to it, 
is called Speaker for the Dead. You ever get a chance to uh, read Speaker for the Dead, definitely do it. In fact, I, I, I've been meaning to interview the author of that book for some time, and I, almost, I had it lined up, and I don't know what I did. Must have slipped by me. I'll get on that again. Good morning. You're on the air uh, in what we call Ghost to Ghost AM. Where are you, please? Hi, this is Kelly in Soda Springs, Idaho. Kelly, we have a big hum on the phone here. Oh, okay. That's the other line. Can you hold on one second? Sure. You have to hang on, Dana. Oh, I see. We've got we've got two on the line here. Okay, that was my husband on the other line. Well, we have we... a couple stories for you. Okay, but we still have hum. Still? Still have a lot of hum, yes. Wow. Um, I mean, I can hear you, but it's like something's... Uh... Let me shut off my computer. Maybe that's what it is. Let's see if that's it. Could it be your computer? It is now safe to turn your computer off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, it's still right. there. Anyway, go ahead and tell us one. Is that better? Uh, uh, no, but go ahead and uh, give us your best one. Okay, um... Well, about three years ago, my daughter was two, and every night at 12.26, every night she'd wake up screaming. 12.26. Not screaming scared and not screaming upset, but screaming pissed. You know, like if you went in and you shook somebody awake and then you hid? Oh, yes. Okay. She was mad. You could tell she was just mad. Yeah. So I'd run upstairs and calm her down, put her back to sleep, and I'd go back down to bed. Well, one particular night, it was hot, was just dripping sweat. I got to bed. I even I told my husband, if that booger wakes her up tonight, mm-hmm. I'm going to be so mad. He's going to get it. You know, I don't know what, how do you get a ghost, right? So she woke him up, or he woke her up. And at 12.26, I go upstairs. I'm trying to calm her down. I'm ripping this ghost a new butt and I finally get her calmed down I go back downstairs I'm even more dripping wet because of the heat from upstairs and I'm tossing and turning trying to go back to sleep and all of a sudden I feel this like cool fingers go across my neck and I was turning around to you know ask my husband what he did that for and he's rolled over on his other side sound asleep oh my and I'm thinking oh wow you know that was kind of weird and it never did scare me. Um, within 20 seconds, the temperature in the room dropped a good 15, 20 degrees to cool it off. And, I, you know, I got the feeling that that he was apologizing to me in his own way, appeasing me. I don't know. Never woke her up again that night, after that night. So, in other words, your little tantrum. Uh, yeah, I did throw a tantrum. Yes, I did. And it worked. Wow, what a story. Where, what part of the country are you in? We live in a very small town in Idaho called Soda Springs, like 1,300 people, or 1,100 people, I'm sorry. Um, a lot of old, old, old uh, buildings. A lot of, it's, it's an old mining community, a lot of deaths in the mines. And um, This so happened to be a little boy who turned out to be my daughter's best friend for a while. And they'd walk along holding hands and talking. And she'd hold his hand and they'd walk along. And all of a sudden, a chair that'd be in the middle of the room would tip over like he walked right past, you know, right over top of it. <laughs> and she was, with her hand, was a good foot away. 
I mean, it, it's just weird. All kinds of fun stuff like that. But never a bad thing. We never felt uh, threatened in any way. You know, he pulled tricks on us. Well, that is, a, that is a remarkable story. I mean, uh, th thank you very much. To uh, take off at a ghost, to get angry at a, at a spirit, and to literally read it the riot act. First of all, I don't know how you'd have the guts to do that, but I suppose eventually waking up enough time to a, a times to a screaming child, you might do it. And then to to feel a cold hand on the back of your neck and feel a temperature drop of 20 degrees in a room. And then to have that entity go away. You've got to wonder. Some of it seems so conscious. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. Where are you? I'm from Redding, California. Redding, California. Mm-hmm. All right, you've been having some earthquakes up there, haven't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I have. It's been really rocking and rolling. As a matter of mm -hmm. fact, it's swarming yeah. up there. So. Yeah, there was two yesterday and then one today. Uh-huh. So what's up? Um, I have a story from... I'm 15 years old now, and it was in eighth grade. Okay. Yes, and um, eighth grade, junior high. Uh, my junior high has a theater. A big, an old, old theater. The junior high is uh, dated back from 1911. Mm-hmm. And I was doing a play there. It was my first play. I had the lead role. And all throughout the play, well, there has been plays before about speculation that the, the theater is haunted because all the time the house lights, brand new house lights, would go on and off and on and off and on and off. The whole audience saw it. And the stagehands backstage could see the light switch going up and down and up and down. Your name's not Carrie, is it? No, it's not. Okay. It's Heidi. Heidi. Yes. Heidi. That's just as good. All right, Heidi. <laughs> and um, and then there'd be pounding on the top part when nobody would be up there. You could actually, going back, you could actually see the switch going on and off? Yes, my friend was the stage manager, and she was there doing the house lights, and she wasn't even touching them. The, the light switch was going on and off and on and off by itself. Be enough for me right there. Uh-huh. It was pretty scary. And the the pounding on the top part, the catwalk on the top um, above the house lights. Yes. Was pounding, like footsteps running across. Yes. And then the, the side entrances going to backstage. The curtains were flapping back and forth like somebody was pushing them around. Mm. And, well, I, while this, all this was happening, I was the lead of the play, so I was getting into costumes and stuff, and I knew something wrong was going on, but uh, nobody was really, I, I really wasn't following, but I was really nervous because was, it was the first play that I was ever doing, and I was the lead. Sure. And I could, like, I don't know if I could actually physically hear it, but I heard, I felt like a girl's whisper in my head saying, you're going to do all right. I'm looking over over you. Um, you're going to do great. Just go on there and and um, you're going to do fine because I'm watching over you. I could hear this person whispering in my head. It was, I could just feel a presence of a ghost or something around me. And I, I it was kind of, it was actually kind of neat. I wasn't that scared. <laughs> But the, the, uh, the first step, the house lights going on and off, that was, it was just kind of like this 
Who do you child think, having fun? <laughs> who do you think was talking to you, Heidi? Nobody was around me. Um, like I was, I was behind the curtain by myself. No, I know you were hearing this. Who do you think it was? Um. Well, I I have heard stories that, but they have been just stories. You know, I thought they were just stories of a girl. Um, a long time ago, like when the, the school just opened, performing a play, and she, she, uh, I, I don't know if she died in the theater or she died, but she really liked the, the theater itself. So she might have kept that as a home or something. And I think it might have been her, you know, telling me that I was going to do all right. Right. You know, I, I don't want to believe that somebody like that would remain even in a theater, mm -hmm. even in a place they loved, mm -hmm. eternally. I mean, mm -hmm. Heidi, doesn't that seem to you like like a hell, sort of? Yes. Mm-hmm. It does. One imagines something... Uh, it seems like... It feels like a restless kind of spirit, like she doesn't want to stay there. That's why she makes so much mis mischief and everything, you know? Precisely. Flicking on the house lights and pounding up in the stairs that ways and messing with the curtains and everything. Heidi, how did the play go? Uh, it went fine after that. Um, besides, everybody was just... They all thought um, that it was a trick, which it was all right. We didn't want the audience to get scared, so we just let them think that it was a trick. That so they, ne so they never really knew. They thought that was part of the act. No, I think they just thought it was part of the act, yeah. <laughs> Afterwards, like the backstage people told their families and stuff, but um, yeah, it was. We all felt we all felt it, you know, and we were pretty serious about our um, craft, so we wouldn't really do anything like that because it's pretty unprofessional anyway. Uh huh. So, um, it, it was it was something else. It was it was pretty interesting <laughs> i really appreciate your story heidi okay thank you you bet good night and i'm glad you uh did well on the play wild card line you're on the air hi hi art how you doing okay okay well i had a story that happened uh, about 24 years ago i was living in a rooming house and the, the lady who owned the house was 89 years old she lived in the front part of the house it was separated from the other sleeping rooms right and uh i got out of the military and kind of a rogue and stuff anyway i was had stayed there for oh maybe six months or so, and she asked me if I wanted to come in and play a game, and I thought, well, she, she's going to have to play checkers or something like that or something along that line. I got in there, and the room was dimly lit, and she sat down at the table, and she pulled out this Ouija board. That kind of a game, huh? Yeah, and uh, she started to tell me how to do it, and we, we proceeded with it, and it starts spelling out old-fashioned names, first names, like Horace and Elmer. She had been married four or five times before, and she told me that these were the names of her husbands. And that the more we played it, probably went on 45 minutes to an hour, the faster that would go across the board, that little triangle-shaped yes. thing would go across there. Yes. As it was, at the point, it was almost flying off there. At one point, she had some tea there. She asked me to go uh, to the kitchen and get a cup. And I went to the kitchen and opened the, the door. And this is no lie. She had hundreds of cockroaches crawling all through her cabinets. Uh, and she had honey in jars where she said she was catching them. And uh, so I, I had enough of that. I didn't want any tea or anything else. I went back and we, we continued to play that game. But it turned into, I just felt real eerie, like the hair was standing on the back of my neck. And that it got so out of control that that triangle little uh, deal that we were working would just fly off off the, uh, 
the table just about. So that was a uh, you know pretty scary. My friend, that that would be it for me. I've, I've got to go. We're at the top of the hour. Oh my God! We'll be back. is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. From east of the Rockies, call Art at 1-800-825-5033. West of the Rockies, including Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico, at 1-800-618-8255. First-time callers may reach Art at area code 702-727-1222. And you may fax Art at area code 702-727-8499. Please limit your faxes to one or two pages. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Now again, here's Art. Once again, here I am, all right? I'm going to plug my books. You notice I'm not doing very much of it because I don't want to sign that many. Every year at about uh, this time, twixt Thanksgiving and Christmas, we do a special where you can get an autographed copy of my one of my books. Actually, I have two books. The Art of Talk is redone. And boy, do I mean redone. 260 pages, 60 photographs, story of my life. From the time I was but a bulge in my mommy's belly till just about now. It'll tell you a lot about me. I'm a pretty weird person. And uh, that's $24.95. It's a hardcover book. It's called The Art of Talk. Pretty cute title, huh? The other is The Quickening. The Quickening was written well over two and a half years ago. And I'm sorry to say uh, that most of it is coming true now. It also is a hardback book. It covers what is going on environmentally, politically. Volcanoes, earthquakes, tornadoes, weather changes, all the things going on right now. By the way, have you heard about Mount Poco? It's ready to let go down in Mexico. They're evacuating. So here's the deal, and it's a short deal uh, indeed. You can get both books, The Art of Talk and The Quickening, uh, autographed. You can buy either one individually, or you can buy both and get a buy. It's $44.95 plus shipping and handling. There are a very limited number of copies available. And this offer will end without notice. <laughs> In other words, when I get tired of signing, it's all over. Without notice. So, there you have it. That's my book plug. If you want one or both autographed books, 
And I don't think I'm going to do this uh, next year. So this may be it. The number is 1-800-864-7991, 24 hours a day, including now. Can't get through now. Get through over the weekend or next week or whatever. Uh, that number again, one 800 864 7991. You can call that number right now. <laughs> Here it comes. Um, you're on the air, Coast to Coast AM, or is it Ghost to Ghost AM? Good morning. Hi. Hi there. This is Joe. I'm uh, calling from Jamestown, New York. Hi, Joe. Hi. I'm just so glad you called me. I can't believe it. Well, I I'm love doing your that, show. selectively doing that, looking at <laughs> stories, and if they seem interesting, I'm, I'm calling a few people. Well, this is so great. Uh, first of all, um, I guess what, to start the whole thing, um, I've been living in a, it's my dream home, and it was a home uh, in Frewsburg, New York, which probably no one's ever heard of before because it's, it's kind of like a Mayberry, and a very small town but beautiful community. And uh, But it's been known to be haunted because it was built in 1840, and it's a part of the Underground Railroad. So it has the tunnels and the uh, uh, false fireplace. There may be some people who don't know what the under, Underground uh, Railroad is. The Underground Railroad was uh, all of the connections that were made from the south all the way up to Canada to help the slaves escape from the south. So this was a home that was built while it was being built. He was an abolitionist, and he actually built his home to provide for this uh, so that he would help uh, keep the slaves in a safe area, even though they wouldn't just hide in these little cubby holes or anything for a long period of time. Only if the sheriffs would come uh, would they need to hide. But um, they, they had it all protected so that they could help to uh, when it was safe and they would move on to another station closer and closer, uh, like up through the route, came through uh, Silver Creek, Buffalo, that kind of area, and then up into Canada until they were free right. in the country. Right. So, and this is, and it's written up in all the books and everything because it's one of the few places left standing, <laughs> which <laughs> makes us kind of nervous because it is old and, and it's huge and, it's, um, and it has all its uh, little hiding places and, and uh, beautiful wood and, the reason I chose it was because it was I have I love antiques and but and I knew it was haunted um, from the stories that I'd heard in the small town you know they people talk um, but it didn't bother me because that kind of thing doesn't bother me um, but and um, but we had first right away uh, we were doing our as I, as we moved in with my one year old we were doing all the painting and re you know, refurbishing the home and doing things that we needed to do to fix it up. But right away, we could tell that there was an entity there. Right. Um, I had, the first thing that happened was when a, when my little girl who had cerebral palsy, she couldn't even turn or crawl, you know, move to crawl, but she was eyeing a ball that was like six, six feet away from her. And she wanted it so badly, but, um, and we were busy painting and I, took one little break and I sat down in a chair and I had one eye on her and one eye on still my work I was going to do but instead I'll, I see this little red and white ball just not roll to her but huh. move to her about six feet just 
slide across the floor to her so now she can see it and she's playing with it and I'm and I'm I'm standing up thinking I, I can't believe what I'm looking at. You know, this just doesn't seem I know what I I want to describe to people but I, I, I don't know how to. And that was just the beginning. And in that house we knew that the the entities were friendly but we just knew that they were they were they were doing a lot of things in the house, um, and but mostly uh, friendly things, and nothing to scare us. Just to let them, they wanted to let us know that they were there. We have like those latches, the antique iron latches that are on the inside of these older homes. Right. You have to have the thumb on one side, you know, to to lift up the latch on the other side. And uh, after there was just some knocking noise to let me know that there was it was kind of like a warning that that there was a presence in the room and then the next thing I know I'm I'm standing right at this door it's an inner door no wind no scientific reason why they should move and all of a sudden just the inner latch is going up and down and I and I so I thought well you're supposed to talk to these spirits to see if they might you know uh, <laughs> do something else to yeah. communicate with you but as soon as I did then it stopped um and there've been um oh like you can hear someone speaking downstairs like if you're upstairs you can hear voices and you know how you if, if it's in a different room you don't really know exactly what they're saying but you know someone is speaking you can't really actually hear the the words that they're this sounds saying. exactly like a story a man sent me a really eerie story not long ago um, as a matter of fact, let me uh, tell you that story. And thank you. This man uh, is technically knowledgeable. He's a ham, as I am, and I'm sorry that I didn't save the story. But roughly, here it is. He and his wife slept in one room, his children in another. They were small children. And the children would be awakened in the middle of the night with voices, indistinct, busy voices. Uh, you could sort of just barely hear what they were, you know, kind of like, kind of like you would hear voices carried on the wind from a neighbor's house, something like that. But the voices were so loud in the children's room that it would wake the children up at night. The man finally uh, went into his children's room, and he had to stand on a chair in order to hear the voices. But he heard them not clearly, but with enough volume to be bothered. And he had to be in one particular spot. Now, this man monitored these voices for months. And here's the really eerie part. He had to be in one particular place to hear the voices, and the voices would move about an inch or two every day, every day, and he monitored these voices until finally they exited the house, spot where you could hear them, and literally moved across his backyard until finally he had to literally stand on the brick you know, the, the the block wall by the back of his house to hear the voices. And there they were, chattering away, 
months later, they had moved, uh, what, 50 or 60 or 70 feet, and they just kept going. Now, you tell me what he was hearing. He ran through just about everything. Could it be RF from a radio station nearby? No. He ruled that out. What could it possibly be? Some sort of rip, some sort of tear in the continuum? Something from time past? Almost probably that. And as far as he knows, they just kept moving. This little spot where the voices could be heard just kept moving. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. Hello. How are you? A little freaked out, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is Marie, and I'm calling from Crowhart, Wyoming. Yes, ma'am. And we're on the Wind River Indian Reservation, and they call it the land of the little people. Ah. But my story doesn't start here anyway. All right. We lived in Oregon, and this uh, happened to me about 22 years ago. Right. In 1976. My daughter had a friend, and... Um, she would come over and stay at our house. My daughter would go down there and stay with her. And one night, um, her friend and her brother were, were driving down our this little road. We lived way out in the country, uh, about 15 miles out of uh, Sutherland, Oregon. And um, her brother and her were going down our, our country road. And he, they, I'm not really sure what happened to him, but they wound up going off an, um, an embankment about 100 feet down into the ravine. And he helped her crawl up the side of the hill, and they were hurt pretty bad, but he got her up to the side of the hill, and just as she got up to the top of the road, he fell back down. Well, she made it about a, a quarter of a mile to a half of a mile to where the fire department was, and she got some help. Well, needless to say, he didn't make it, and she wound up in the hospital. And I worked nights. I worked at the Denny's restaurant there, and I worked graveyard shift, and or actually wasn't graveyard, but until midnight, and I'd have to come home through that road. Well, like the day after the accident happened, I would come to the area where they had gone off the road, and there was this aborigine standing in the road with his hands up in the air. Oh, my. And I, it, it kind of scared me, and I didn't know if I should go, keep going or stop or what I should do, and I said, no, I'm, I'm going to go past. So I went on home, and I, I told my husband about it, and, the following night, the same thing happened, and this happened for like three or four nights, and my daughter got a call from her friend that was in the hospital, and she asked her if she could come and see her, so I took my daughter in to see her, and um, I really didn't understand why I was seeing this in the road. I mean, to me, it was sort of, you know, what do you want, what's going on, you know, type thing. It was like he was restless or something was going on and trying to tell me something. At least that's how I felt. So I took my daughter in to see her friend at the hospital, and she went in to see her, and then she asked my daughter if she would, if I would mind going in and seeing her. Right. So I, I said, well, okay, I'd go in, and my daughter waited for me out in the hall, and it was just her friend and I in the room, and she started telling me that it was all her fault that her brother died, that um, she could have done something to help him, and, you know, um, what, you know, she was just crying, and I, just, and I finally told her, I said, you, it was not your fault. There was nothing that you could have done to change the situation. And after that, I didn't see him in the road anymore. Wow. It was almost like I was to go to tell her because she wanted to commit suicide. She wanted to end her life because she felt like she was responsible for what happened to him. 
and after I went and saw her and, and told her that it wasn't her fault, then I felt like a big weight was relift, lifted off of me, and, and she got well. Remarkable. Was, Absolutely remarkable. It was really a strange situation. <laughs> Did it make you a believer? Oh, definitely, because I had something else happen to me in 80, and it was sort of a, a, a situation where we lived in a little tiny trailer, and I kept getting this odor, um, and I couldn't figure out what it was at first, and we had this dog that kept looking behind her. Well, it, this odor that I kept getting was sort of like I could smell like my grandfather. You know how certain people, they eat certain things, and they have just an odor about them. Sure. Well, he always ate um, Cheerios and all brand for breakfast and toast, and that's what I kept smelling. <laughs> now, they lived in New York, and we were in Oregon. And my dog kept looking behind her one day and growling, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong. And the following day, I got a phone call from my mother that my grandfather had passed away. And it was it, I knew he had been there. There's every reason to believe that those who pass away, even those who move on, linger long enough near loved ones. Well, I hadn't seen him in probably 20 years. I hear and you. I think it was just his way of making sure that me and my family were fine, and then he was okay. A very common story. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Take care. Uh, listen, I'm getting a, um, a lot of uh, email here indicating... Well, let me read you one from Jay. Warning, warning, warning. Solar images. Um, look out. Here comes a big solar flare. And this one is a big one. We'll try and get the information up on the website um, tonight, if not tomorrow. So there apparently has been a very, very large solar flare. And we'll uh, try and keep you updated. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you, Art? <laughs> I'm okay. Where are you? I am in Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City. Oh. The story I'm about to tell you, although it does not happen here, happens in central South Dakota. Central South Dakota. Right. Mitchell, to be exact. Tell me something. Are they saying bad things about me on Kansas City Talk Radio? You know what? Um, my husband turned me on to you this evening, and I work in a bar. And uh, he said he kind of got freaked out yesterday about some uh, Catholic... Uh, pastor talking about. Oh, oh, yes, that was another program. No, um, this relates to a possible curse placed on the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> I, I've been getting some really nasty. And, and anyway. Uh, I'm a Raiders fan, so. You're a Raiders fan? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, so am I, actually. All right, go ahead. Um, about early 1990, or no, I'm sorry, mid-1991, um, I had I just filed for divorce, and I found out three weeks later that I was pregnant. With my second child. Oh boy. Which is, you know, not great. Not great. And um, I was living with his family in a little town called Parkston, South Dakota. Mm -hmm. And not very happy. And uh, I was thinking about um, an abortion, which I have a very Catholic family. I understand. And the Catholic upbringing, but at the time I was so sick of religion, I didn't think about church, I didn't care. No, you were in the middle of a divorce. Taking, taking a long way home, sort of, and thinking about an abortion. Listen, this sounds like a very interesting story. Can I? We're, we're at a break. Can I put you on hold? You bet. All right. Uh, we will come back after the break and finish this one up. Can you imagine that? Are there worse, uh, more serious human situations than that? You file for divorce. You're with your family, and you find out you're pregnant. You begin thinking about an abortion. It's your second child. 
I don't know. It doesn't get much rougher than that, does it? From the high desert, where the clouds and the rain and the mist are moving in on kind of a creepy night, this is Coast to Coast AM. Stay buckled in. That's my recommendation. In the Kingdom of Nye, from east of the Rockies, dial 1-800-825-5033. West of the Rockies, including Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico, 1-800-618-8255. First-time callers may reach art at area code 702-727-1222. And you may call art on the wildcard line at area code 702-727-1295. To reach out from outside the U.S., first dial your access number to the USA, then 800-893-0903. This is Coast to Coast AM from the Kingdom of Nye with Art Bell. It sure is, and this is the stretch run. Boy, what a night, huh? When I ask for ghost stories, I get them. <laughs> no question about that. Young lady on the line got disconnected. Somehow we got her back. That's almost a miracle. So we'll get back to her in just a moment. You're back, and I cannot imagine a worse situation. Uh, filing for divorce. Uh, you find out you're pregnant. You're living with your family. And you think you Pardon me? His family. He is even worse yet. Mm -hmm. And you're considering an abortion. Right. Okay. So at the time, I decided to take a part-time job to get away from my situation, collect my thoughts. And I happened to land a job in Emory, South Dakota, where he grew up, actually, where he went to high school and grade school, mm -hmm. working for a couple, um, husband and wife, well into their 80s, and uh, this gentleman's wife had Alzheimer's. Oh, yes. You know, and not being in a great situation as I was. Not at all. It was all. very difficult for me. And so things proceeded, and one afternoon I just got fed up. And uh, and not to be, you know, um, caught, I used a payphone and looked in Yellow Pages. I was desperate. And I looked under abortion. This wonderful lady came on the phone, and I said, you know, I need help. And uh, she says, let me pick you up this afternoon. I'm going to take you to my office here in Mitchell. I said, you have it. Got it. So she shows me all these films, and I was totally disgusted. And she says, I'm going to give you another option. That is this wonderful lady who lives down the street. She's 73 years old. She's looking for a roommate. 
said, really? Because you know you don't want to do this. So you're right, I don't. So I moved in with this lady. She was 73 years old, and she got me back into church. Mm-hmm. And I started going to church faithfully and doing church functions, and I decided to get rebaptized in a Christian church. All right. And so I was going through the classes, and I was teaching some youth classes, and uh, at the time I was working um, at a computer place that made um, floppy disks, and I was going to school. And uh, I remember the pastor telling me, you know, Tracy, there's going to be a time, there's, there's a door here, and you're about reaching that time, you're going to have to make a decision. You know, either you want to go with the Lord or you want to go elsewhere. He says, and someone will try you. And I thought he was just full of it, you know. Growing up in a big family, big Catholic family, I'd never been in that kind of position. Mm-hmm. So one evening, and it kind of struck me weird, one evening um, I left both doors open. I, I slept in the basement, and uh, there was two doors to my room, and I left the television on. And I, I read my, my path out of my Bible, and I went to sleep. And I don't know what time it was in the morning, because it's awful dark in the basement, being one little window underground. Sure. And uh, all of a sudden, I hear two doors slam and the TV turn off. I'm freaking out. <laughs> yeah, of course. Somebody's there. And then I open my eyes, and I see not an apparition, but a silhouette with two red eyes like you saw from Amityville Horror. Yes. I have chills right now <laughs> remembering this. And this, this voice said, come with me. Come with me. Now, I heard other people talking about being paralyzed. Yes. I was paralyzed. I couldn't scream. I couldn't say anything. And all of a sudden in my mind, all I remember in my mind saying was, Jesus saved me. Jesus saved me. And then I, then I was able to roll over on my belly and put a pillow over my head. And it, it was gone. And the next day, the doors were still open. And the TV was on. Mm-hmm. So we went and uh, we talked to the pastor about this because I'm freaking out. Selma, being in her room right upstairs, never heard a thing. And uh, the, um, the pastor came down and he anointed all the doorknobs and he blessed the whole house. And I never heard anything again after that. And uh, now I do have... You, do you wonder sometimes whether... There was a subliminal, or not such a subliminal, suggestion given to you by the priest, which caused this in your own mind, or if it was absolutely real. It was real. I mean, I I even thought through that, you know, being, um, I was uh, 22, and, you know, I'm like, I know I'm more intelligent than this, you know, my mind doesn't play tricks on me. And, I mean, I looked a couple times at this thing, and I, I just saw those eyes, and they came close. I take it you went ahead with the divorce. I went ahead with the divorce, and I had a very happy, healthy child that was born on Valentine's Day. I appreciate the story. Thank you. Thank you. You take care. You too. Red eyes. Uh, well, card line, you're on the air. Hi. Hello. How are you doing, Art? I'm okay, sir. Where are you? Uh, Northern California. All right. Um, I'm an investigator for the county here, and I had to go up to this place uh, about 25 miles up this old dirt road. Yes. And uh, the people I was talking to, uh, uh, they told me that this house is haunted because I'm on this property and nobody lived in it. When you say you're an investigator for the county, what do you mean? I'm a fraud investigator. Fra- oh, fraud. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, anyway, I was talking to them, and uh, they told me a few stories about this house uh, uh, getting attacked by this mean uh, male ghost. And I kind of just blew it off. Then I talked to my girlfriend uh, the next day and told her about it, and she talked me into going up there. So we spent a total of six nights up there and uh, got some really neat pictures. Um, when we first went into the house, um, everything seemed to be okay. But then we smelled a, like, rotting flesh. Rotting, I, rotting flesh. Yeah. Real, real strong odor. <coughs> Excuse me. Along with a lot of cold spots in the, in the house. And the majority of it seemed to be in the kitchen and the hallway. We looked around, couldn't find anything. Of course, this house hasn't been lived in in 10 years either. So later on, uh, my girlfriend and her daughter decided to play with the Ouija board. Mm. And that's when everything really started to get exciting. Um, I'm taking pictures of them playing with the Ouija board, and it's probably around 11, 12 o'clock at night. And all of a sudden, um, the chair flies back that she's sitting in, my girlfriend. She gets up, she's holding her knee, and uh, she had to got kicked in the knee, or hit in the knee, which left a bruise. Immediately after that, the door, which is right behind me, the handle turned. <laughs> now, this is, there's no one around, and it's close to midnight if it wasn't midnight. Right. I was ready to go at that point, but <laughs> since, you know, we're so far back there on this dirt road, so I had to go ahead and spend the night. <clears throat> of course, I can't sleep. <clears throat> and we're all laying in the living room, and uh, then I hear footsteps upstairs. Uh, like children running. There's also supposed to be two children, ghost children in this house also. Mm-hmm. Now, six months ago, I wouldn't have believed this until it happened to me. Here are uh, footsteps running upstairs and a door slammed. And I decided to go ahead and take the tape recorder out at that time and set it up and just let it play. And... Uh, the next day, I listened to the tape recording. I heard a small child say, help me, help me, twice. Never heard this. Never, ever heard it. Um, just incredible. Just incredible. Got pictures of orbs, uh, orbs in motion. There is a... Sent them to the ghost web, and he posted a few of them, and I finally made my own website because I have about 400 pictures. 400? Yeah, that I've taken up there, and that's six. Why don't you send me, <clears throat> excuse me, some email and uh, give me your site. I'll take a look and put up a link. Okay. You bet. How would that be, all right? You bet. Okay. Thank yes. you very much and take care. Uh, as a matter of fact, I would like to get any ghost photographs that anybody has. So if you've got a good one, <laughs> by all means, send it to Art Bell. Uh, at P.O. Box 4755 in Haunted Pahrump, that's P-A-H-R-U-M-P, Nevada, zip code 89041-4755. And if you cannot scan them, I would be more than happy to scan them for you and get them up. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hello, Art. Hello. Uh, it's Mike from... A of, of Philly, Philadelphia, PA. Philadelphia. Yes, I'm a little nervous. 
Oh, that's all right. Relax. Um, about 14 months ago, me and my wife and my dog and my kid moved to a house. It was built in the 40s. And I showed my stepfather the, the, the basement. Mm-hmm. And I was standing about six feet away from him, and he was on standing on the stairs. And I seen this apparition of a man walking behind him, going towards the back door. Now, I didn't think anything of it at the time. But about, you know, half hour later, I thought about it. Said, what was that? <laughs> and then I came home and went to the store one night. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. Right. And I came in the basement, and we had a dog. who was about six months old. And I, it was about the size of a large cat walked by me towards the back door. <laughs> and I thought it was my dog. Right. Here was a sleep upstairs. And I had mentioned to my wife, and she seen the thing walking um, from the kitchen to the living room. So we asked the neighbors if they had a cat. Um, the guy lived there, and he died, and his wife was still alive, but she got sick, and she moved into an apartment or whatever. Was it a cat? I think so, because we asked the neighbors if they had a cat, and they said yes. <laughs> okay. But it wasn't an evil feeling. It was like it was like they were checking us out and moving in their house. You know what I mean? Yes. Well, yes. cats do that. Yeah, it was like a ghost cat. It sounds crazy, but no, not crazy. Cut. If if you look, cats. Um, anybody who owns one, a cat or a dog, knows that they have individual personalities and probably every bit as liable to come back as a ghost as a human. Yes. Can I have one more quick story? Sure. I used to work, work in a restaurant and at night. I used to wash the, the dishes or whatever. And I found this restaurant used to be a, 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 a marine base and then a church and then a restaurant. And it was a real late at night, and I was I was coming at, coming out of the uh, dish room, and I seen a figure out of the corner of my eye standing right about two feet away from me. And I turned and looked at him, and he uh, you know he wasn't there anymore. So I quickly got out of there real quick. So. Well, I would too. I have seen. Uh, uh, thank you very much. Similar figures, and you always see them in your peripheral vision. You just sort of halfway see them enough so you know they really were or are there uh, but they're not quite there when you when you focus your vision fully on them odd west of the rockies you're on the air hi hey Art, how you doing all right this is uh jim from santa fe yes sir i just wanted to share a little experience that i had all right back in my air force days it wasn't too long ago but uh I was stationed out at a base in California, and uh, every few years or so they have a, an air show. And part of the air show is they've got these planes flying around and what have you, and they also have uh, some older jets uh, on display in one of the hangars, and it's open to the public. And, uh, you know, I didn't get to work that day, but I had to work a mid, you know, so I came in around, I don't know, 11 or 12. Sure. And, uh, you know, I uh, my duty post was, uh, you know, I had to, it out of this hangar. You know, I had an EAL, which is an entry authority list, and tells you who can come in and out of there. And uh, the guy I relieved told me, yeah, it was quiet. There's nobody in there, just the planes or whatever. And there's only a couple ways in and out of this hangar. So I go in there, and I'm, I'm looking around. You know, they had like F-4s and F-5s, some other uh, planes. And I was, right. you know, pretty interested in the ones from Vietnam. Yeah, some of them even had like bullet holes in them. And, uh, 
I took a flashlight and I went up to, uh, you know, to the undercarriage of an F4. And, uh, you know, I was just looking around and, uh, checking out the lights and the tire and what have you. And, uh, I just kicked the tire, you know, just see how much air was in. I don't know why I did it. But, uh. People always kick tires. Oh, uh, yeah, especially when you're <laughs> bored. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I started walking away from it and I heard this, like, tap as if somebody was tapping on the glass. You know, uh-huh. I, I turned around and I looked up in the, and in the cockpit there was this, what appeared to be like somebody sitting in there. And it really spooked me out because he had, it was wearing like, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but, you know, like Red Baron, you know, the, the goggles and the scarf and the, oh, yes. and the cap. Sure. Guy was sitting there grinning at me and I was like, whoa. You know, and I made sure there was nobody in there. And it, you know, really spooked me out. This was a Red Baron type in an F4? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it, you know, it really spooked me out. And, you know, I didn't say anything to anybody until actually about two weeks ago. This happened about five years ago, and I talked to one of my friends. And, I'd be disinclined to tell that story myself. Yeah. That's, a, that's an amazing story. And so you just, what, took off? Oh, I couldn't take off. I just went back outside the hangar and called one of my friends who was on a Roman patrol to come over and I just told him I felt really sick, didn't tell him why, you know, until like <laughs> five years later. <laughs> that makes sense. I, I appreciate your story, thank you. And while we're on the military subject, perhaps a correction, I don't know. Dear Art, my name is Jeffrey and he gives the last name, I won't read that. And I also served aboard the USS Enterprise. One of your callers said the Independence took a torpedo hit. That is a Forrestal class carrier and has never taken enemy fire whatsoever, not even during Vietnam. The explosion, in fact, did occur and was caused due to a maintenance error, but the stories uh, he told are true. I've served on five carriers. The one I liked best was the USS Ranger. There, there was a ghost of a chief that wanders through the ship's galley. He was killed in a fire that broke out in the main machinery room, number three. So that may be a slight correction, but the story remains. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. I'm Terry. I'm calling from Monterey. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with Salinas, that area. I certainly am. Um, I used to live out in... Um, an area of North Salinas where to get home, I would be driving basically down the agricultural area. How long ago were you in Salinas? Well, um, I moved from Salinas about five years ago. Five years ago. Well, I, I, grew, was, I grew up there. I actually lived in Salinas and worked for KDON Radio. Yes, remember it quite well. Do you, KDON? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, grew up listening to KDON. There you are. Um but I, I lived out in North Salinas and was one night coming home. And uh, one of the phenomenons of the agriculture area is um, you can be driving through the town and it's perfectly clear, and if they're watering, you'll get out there and all of a sudden you'll just hit fog like you wouldn't believe. That's right. And I was coming down on the Tividad and turned onto a street called Rogie that led to my house and had no sooner turned on it when... A gentleman stepped out in front of my car, I mean literally in front of the right fender, and I went through him, literally through him. He was wearing blue jeans, a jean jacket, 
clad like a flannel shirt, and it had his hands up like he was asking for help. And, of course, when I went by him, you know, I panicked. I'm thinking, oh, my God, did I hit somebody? Do I go back? And then it, it started hitting me that, uh, no, there was no bump. <laughs> and I can remember seeing a truck in the distance behind him, like a truck had broken down. Um, so I'm driving, and I'm just panicking. Do I go back? Do I check? But I'm, I'm thinking to myself, no, there was no bump. And I went through him. The car literally went through him, and it got cold. Um, so I just went home, slept with the lights on, and I didn't bet. think too much about it for about a week. Yes. And I went to have dinner with a good friend, and I was telling her about this. And she started getting pale. And she says, you got to come down to my house. you got to talk to my dad. So I go to her house, and she lived in the same area. And I talked to her dad, and it turns out that um, a couple months earlier, they had been coming home late in the evening, same type of circumstances mm-hmm. from Disneyland. Same thing, huh? And all of a sudden, their dad, um, he was driving, and they were in the front seat with him. He just swerved. And they go, well, what did you do? And he goes, well, didn't you see that guy? And they went, what guy? He goes, well, the, the guy that was standing there. And they went, well, there was nobody there. And he's like, oh, my God, you know, there was a truck over there, and you, know, you didn't see it. He goes, no. And so I'm talking to him, and I'm, my hair is starting to stand up, and I asked him, I said, what was this guy wearing? And he went, jean jacket, jean pants, and a red flannel-type shirt. And it was just so, I mean, all of a sudden there's this person that I hadn't talked to, didn't know anything about it, and he was confirming that he had also seen the same thing. Um, so I went back um into some of the archives of the Salinas, California paper. And? Um, about three years earlier, a young man had um, been killed there. His car had obviously broken down. And when a car, um, a truck came out in front of him, uh, he stepped out, but he obviously miscalculated how close he was, and he was killed. And let me guess. Uh, how he was dressed. <laughs> I don't know. They didn't say, but <laughs> I have a good idea. <laughs> yeah. I'm Needless sure to say, you're I, correct. I never drove that, that road again at night. Never. Never. Don't blame you for a second. Well, listen, we're out of time. We could go and go and go and go. Uh, if after listening to five hours of all of this, you don't believe we're more than flesh and bones, then you just haven't been listening. Uh, tell everybody good night. Good night, everybody, and sleep with your lights on. <laughs> I imagine a lot of people will be doing just that this night. That's Ghost to Ghost. I'm Art Bell from the High Desert. Good night. Good night.